What type of dog is this? This is a tortoise. Is this a cat in a hat? No, no it's a tortoise in a shell. Yes. with Rob and Zach. This is a podcast about cinematic oddies where we discuss any media that is too bizarre, abnormal, or off-kilter for contemporary audiences. Occasionally, these projects gel. Most times, they crash hard into the realm of obscurity. Join us as we delve into the cult classic swamp. I'm Zach. And I'm Rob. And this week on Cinemodities, we are just powering through this failed blockbuster series and... I, I have to say, Zach, I think this is the first time in a while I've had so much fun with a series. Because we talked about Watchmen. I love that movie. We talked about Gods of Egypt. I had a grand time watching that one. And this week, we're talking about another doozy, which, in all fairness, I have no idea how this could have failed. I, I think this should have been the highest grossing movie of all time. 2003's The Cat in the Hat. Is, is, do you agree with me? I think right off the bat, Zach, do you agree with me that this is one of the greatest things you've ever seen? Uh, I'm going to compliment what Rob said by saying this film is a, is a cinematic tragedy. It's an absolute disaster that this film does not get recognized as yes. the surrealist masterpiece that it is. It really is kind of, you know, visually striking. Uh, the humor is is so kind of, you know, Quickly paced, and or I shouldn't say quickly paced, non-uniformly paced. I, I can never really get a sense of what the tone of this movie is. But I guess before we get into all of that, um, I should ask Zach, because he's, he's the master of these things. And no, not, not snacks yet. But is this something that a lot of people know about? Is this something that, you know, we can talk about in the abstract sense, like we did for, say, Watchmen? Or does this deserve a greater breakdown, like Gods of Egypt? What are your thoughts? Well, it's weird that you say that because as I was preparing for this episode, I, I wanted to get a feeling for like what the like popular consensus was for this amongst like non-critics. Because again, the critics completely just crapped on this, like yes. royally savaged it. And so I went on things like YouTube, uh, Apple Podcasts, and to see, okay, what are people talking about this? And on Apple Podcasts, I could only find two podcast episodes about this movie. Wow. Which is less than elves. <laughs> as shocking as that may sound, there's more auditory debate on elves than there to be, is. To be fair, there's no Bunce McGavin in The Cat in the Hat. <laughs> no, but there is a Mike Myers as a cat. So Yes, and there's Alec Baldwin as playing like two characters almost, it seems. <laughs> and Alec Baldwin playing Alec Baldwin 15 years later. <laughs> Um, no, so like I even went on YouTube and I found like a couple of videos, like it's like if you type in like watchmen analysis, mm -hmm. you'll find like dozens of like just people trying to like break that film down. Yep. And with the cat in the hat, I found one video and it, ha it has a nice amount of views. Okay. And the and the guy and how he discusses it is very similar to what I would imagine we're gonna be doing. He gets he gets a little too philosophical in his uh analysis. Mm-hmm. 
that's the weird thing. I don't know. I I think this is hmm. a movie. Like I think this is this is a. Uh, I think we talked about it. I forget what episode. I think yeah, it was the 18th episode where it's like you'd only see this discussed like in a BuzzFeed listicle. Ah, yeah. That's kind of the vibe I'm getting from this. I don't like they rarely air this. I don't think this has ever really aired on television. Uh, the last time I ever saw it on TV was a couple of months ago when I got like a free weekend of HBO and it was on like ah. kids HBO at like four in the afternoon on a Saturday. That's what I was about to say. The first time I originally saw this was on HBO many years ago. So, yeah, so I, I, in all honesty, to answer your question, I don't know. It's possible <laughs> that, that it's a movie that people are aware of. Okay. It did, it did make a hundred million dollars domestic 15 years ago. Mm. So it's not like, no, it's not like it was a, uh, like a, a gods of Egypt where only like maybe three theaters worth of people actually saw this movie. <laughs> but at the same time, though, this is not, uh, Jim Carrey's The Grinch. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Okay. Interesting. Interesting. Well, then I guess to to maybe hone in on a specific aspect of my question a little bit more, uh, would you say that the the common moviegoer or movie fan do they not know who Nevins is? <laughs> Nobody knows who Nevins is. Nobody who know, knows. Who, okay. Okay. Well, we'll have to talk about Nevins in greater detail as we go through this because Nevins might be my favorite character in this film. But like I said, we'll get to that. I think since this is the failed blockbuster series, and this is kind of a, a huge Zach's choice, even though he's picking great films, where do you want to start with this, Zach? Do you want to go history? Do you want to go breakdown? What do you think? What's the best way to handle Mike Myers as the cat in the hat? Again, much like Gods of Egypt, I've come to realize with some of these movies that uh, they fit the Cinemati moniker to a T. Yes, but at the same time, though, I do not know how to talk about them. <laughs> and even though it worked out in Gods of Egypt's case, where we kind of just did a, like a, a point by point breakdown of what happens in the mm-hmm. movie. I think we'd lose our minds doing it with this. Yeah, that's a that's a good point because I guess you know if if anyone is is unaware, this film is certainly based off of the Dr. Seuss book, The Cat in the Hat, and it does take an insane amount of those elements and expand on them, twist them, play with them um, in the way that you'd expect a full, you know, 80 minute movie to do. I would say this movie has as much like based on the cat and hat as in something like, Oh God, I'm trying to give a book that like, like, Oh God, it's, I would say it's the antithesis to Watchmen where Watchmen <laughs> try, Hack Snyder tried so hard to make watch the most, uh, re- the most faithful representation of the source material. <laughs> yes. And, and, and the director of this Bo Welch did the exact opposite of that. Okay. So, I mean, that's something I'm glad we're bringing this up. Cause that's something I actually wanted to ask you, Zach, but, uh, in prior to this recording, did you go back and read the original cat in the hat book? <laughs> No, Rob, I did not. I did not either, which I, I feel like I should have. But if I remember from, you know, you know, millions of years ago when I first read the Cat in the Hat book, it, it, it's a kid's book. It, it's, you know, 90% pictures and then some sentences. So, you know, how, how for a, a film adaption, how can you be faithful to the source material? Like the only things that I, I'm picking up on is they say, OK, the things show up. Got to have thing one and thing two. We got the fish who's the you know, the foil of the cat in the hat to some extent. And then you have things like, oh, the cleanup machine with all the hands. We have to have that imagery. Like, that that's all you can really do. It, it has to be somewhat of, besides the point of, don't get the house dirty, house gets dirty, cat cleans it up. You know, there, you have to play with it to some extent. Yeah, oh no, definitely. 
Um, and you can definitely tell they felt they definitely had or they think they had create creative license with this. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, OK, I, we're not going to be able to do a plot by plot breakdown because basically we can stop like Ross. Rob kind of broke the book down. It's like you have two kids. One is a know-it-all. The other one is just a uh, we want to call it. Uh, ill-behaved a, child, a rule, a rule breaker, as the um, as the phenometer labels him in this film. <laughs> Fun with a ph. Oh, of course. And so the two kids, with the with the help of the cat and their misadventures over the course of seventy five minutes, learn to basically not be that way. Mm-hmm. And yeah, like that's the plot of it. Like that's like. <laughs> But I I think we're going to break this down Kind of just highlighting The sheer insanity This film yeah, is That's a good point Because to say this Like we've talked about Okay You know the episode still hasn't been released We've talked about things like elves <laughs> And we've talked about claws And there's been things here and there That kind of fit the cinematic moniker Again something like in Mandy Where we have um, Nicholas Cage say he's going to kill Jesus freaks Yeah. I, and even Gods of Egypt, where we have a Scottish man play like an Egyptian god. I don't think any of these hold a candle to the sheer surrealist insanity that is 2003's The Cat in the Hat. I, this film is unparalleled in so many ways. And I think that, you know, like, is, because is, this film does have a reputation of being bad, but I think what's kept a lot of people from watching this is just so hot. I guess, oh my God, it, it's inaccessible. Like I, I honestly think that unless you have a Robin Zach mindset, mm-hmm. this film is inaccessible to you. That's a that's a really good point because I've I've never thought about it that way. I've just this movie has just you know festered in my mind as as this kind of entity of surrealism and weirdness and and I think everything you know, not to jump too far ahead, but like Zach said, it's everything that a cinemodity should embody, and and that is this film, and. I think for people that don't think about it that way, like Zach said, they don't have our mindset, then you're going to get the people who are like, oh, it's a Dr. Seuss movie? I don't want to see that. Like, it's for kids. Or or if you're living in, you know, today's 2019 age, you say, oh, that's racist. Dr. Seuss is racist and all that stuff. So, yeah, I, I agree with you. You know, it, it's it's not that accessible. It, well, I don't even think it's accessible. Like, okay, I'm not even looking at it that way. Mm, okay. I'm looking at well, okay, partially that way. How I well because yes, Doctor Seuss was racist. You can't deny that. <laughs> yeah, I, I know that's a big thing now. Between um, between R. Kelly, the we can they're taking Michael Jackson songs off the radio now. Yeah, yeah. As of a reco- it was announced today that the producers of The Simpsons now yep. are, are are taking off the Michael Jackson episode at every rotation. So unless you have the season three DVD box set with that episode, you can't watch the episode anymore. Don't worry, Zach. I have a copy of that episode, and I have the season three box set. So Fantastic. We, we're, we we're are all set. set. Can Another- I just say before we go on? Can I just say I was. Just like you're saying right now, Zach, all this stuff is going on. I read an article not too long ago, and I'm going to try and find it so you can put it in the show notes, where this article literally said that some group of researchers conducted a study to determine if Dr. Seuss's stories were racist. A study. A study. They read the books. That's not a study. Like, that blows my mind that they call that a study. They just had people read the books. It's not a study if you have the whole population at your fingertips. 
I honestly think now the word study is synonymous with the phrase wasting I, of taxpayer dollars. I did something. <laughs> we should start naming all of our episodes, you know, episode 55, a study of the cat in the hat. <laughs> Wouldn't be a bad idea. Uh, but no, like, so yes, we, we live in that culture now, but I'm not even looking at it that way. Or maybe we should, maybe we should be looking at it that way. But like you, like, okay, so let's pretend you have no background with this movie mm-hmm. and you are, I don't know, let's say you're like a 16 year old, you're babysitting two five year olds and you're scrolling through Netflix, Hulu, whatever streaming service. And you yeah. see this, you see cat in the hat, you have no experience on it. And you think, Oh, I know Dr. Seuss. Well, I'll put it on for the kids and I'll watch it with them. Mm-hmm. And as you're doing that, uh, you, you this movie begins. It begins cute enough. Like you have like a the DreamWorks logo instead of the little DreamWorks boy. You have a cat in the hat fishing in the yeah. in the pond, and you go through the town of Anvil, and you have all this. It seems normal enough. Like it, it seems like what you would imagine a mid two thousands Dr. Seuss live action adaptation might look like. Yeah, I think I think that hits the nail on the head. That when when you see this movie, if you have any kind of notion of of Dr. Seuss and the artwork that appears in those books, this captures that fairly well in those opening and establishing scenes. Yeah. And then, like I said, you, you go through and you have the narrator doing his thing, talking about the fact of what's going on. And you cut to inside the house and you have Sally and Conrad mm-hmm. and Sally's on her little, what? Uh, I, uh, Apple Newton. <laughs> yeah. Oh God. I didn't even think about it that way, but yeah. And she's making her to-do list. Yeah, she's making her little to-do list, and we see... I guess we should point out that Conrad is played by Rob's favorite actor ever, Spencer Breslin. Yes, his and his greatest role is, of course, in The Happening, when he gets <laughs> like, shot in the face. <laughs> <laughs> Which I can still remember Rob saying that when the movie came out 11 years ago. That was like, uh, that's the only highlight from The Happening. <laughs> oh, God. If only that were the only highlight from The Happening. And, um, and we have Dakota Fanning as Sally. Let me, let me just tell you... You might be getting to this, Zach, but I have to say that to-do list that she's making, great to-do list. It starts with make to-do list. I've I've lived that life. You put I have to make my to-do list on your to-do list. <laughs> she also goes on to say things like research graduate school, be spontaneous, cr- and create lasting childhood <laughs> memories. <laughs> and then well, I think the last thing we get to hear is she says – Make tomorrow's to-do list. <laughs> no, there's one more that oh, she said. Oh, there's one more? Okay, okay, and, what is it? And this is, okay, and I wouldn't know this except for the fact that I turned the captioning on. Ah. And that happened a lot during, as I watched this, I guess I should point out that I watched this a couple days ago, and I, I, I okay, I guess I should point out, I guess we should, should we do our histories of this film before we start breaking it down? Fine, my history's pretty short, so sure. Okay, so my history of this was I, I could have sworn I saw this in theaters when it came out in like fall, winter of 2003. But my main memory is that I, I got the DVD of it when it came out around like Easter time 2004. And I remember this being like a favorite of mine when, when my, my nephew's family would take us to Disney and I would bring this in the car and we'd watch it on the portable DVD player. And I didn't really think much of it. Like, don't get me wrong. I thought it was hilarious growing up. Like I thought like, but at the same time though, it's like when you're 11 years old, a lot of things are funny. Mm -hmm. Like you really don't have a filter to like discern what's good and just like, Oh, I'm just laughing at this because I'm 11 years old. And so like a lot of things, like, like I absolutely loved the, the scene of the cat in the cooking segment with the the cupcakes. Yeah. Yeah. 
You're not and, just you're not just wrong. You're stupid. <laughs> just like your mother. <laughs> Did you say my mother's ugly? I'll get you and I'll make it look like an accident too. Like that I don't think I ever laughed as hard as I did at 11 year old at 11 years old as I did at that moment. Okay, like that okay. that blew my childhood mind. Like that was just beyond comprehension funny. And so like I I, I thought it was hysterical though, but it wasn't like anything I put that much mind to. It was like, oh, I watched it and it kind of just over time, like I was always at that age, you're always encountering new things. So you're not really nostalgic about anything. Mm-hmm. I guess that's, that's the most unique part of childhood as you get older is that you're not nostalgic about anything. Nothing, nothing in the past is as exciting as what could happen next. So I had a DVD. It sat like in like a drawer somewhere and I would, like, I try to take it out and Rob knows the story. I put the DVD in and it would get to about the point in the film when they're driving the slow throughout okay. the town is they're like right before it crashes and every time it would skip at that exact moment and i would never get to see the last like 20 minutes of the movie oh damn so for years i, I even technically even till like, i guess not until now because how i watched this was that i when it was on hbo i recorded it onto my dvr and i never deleted it so i like as i was watching it basically the last 20 minutes of the movie were essentially a new movie to me okay like nice. i, I had the first hour, I or like I guess the first like forty five minutes, I had ingrained in my mind. Like I knew every single thing that was going to happen for the first forty five minutes, and then that last twenty five minutes, I was just like, "Wait, this actually happened in the movie," and I was just, I'm like, "Whoa!" Like I, I couldn't believe it. Like I was just uh, new experience. I don't think I've ever had that happen with a movie before, where I remember something so vividly, and then like something else part of it, it's just like, "Where'd this come from?" Right on. And so that, and so, like, I remember, like, other than that, though, it really wasn't anything, like, my, 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 you and I, there's the bleeping sound, like, <laughs> I, him and I would watch it, but other than that, it wasn't, like, even, this wasn't even the thing with Sal and I, I think I brought up the Sal once or twice, and he never liked it, I think he always used to refer to it as scary, mm-hmm. like, anytime Sal didn't like anything, it was always lit, labeled as scary, Okay, and so I know like it really even in college like it never got brought up as a discussion point. It never got thrown around. It was it's I guess it adds more uh, credence to the argument of this is a forgotten film more or less. Hmm. Okay. Did you like these last twenty minutes? I guess we'll get into that more. But was it uh, was it everything you kind of hoped for? Uh, in that in when you got that new experience from it. Well, there's certain things I, I remember. <clears throat> I guess now I guess this is gonna be kind of like I guess. Oh God! Like we're gonna highlight the points of it that are noteworthy, which might be an entire plot by plot <laughs> or, or, or a breakdown of the plot. But no, like I remembered things like the very end with the cat, like like dancing down the street, like at sunset. I remembered that. Okay. I remembered the dance, the the rave, the rave at a, oh, no, like, the yeah. subterranean rave with Paris Hilton. I remembered yeah. that. I completely forgot about the fact that when they're trying to get Nevins from Alec Baldwin mm-hmm. and they have the cat dress up as a Rastafarian yep. to sign the petition, I had no memory of that. I honestly thought there's, I, I had no memory. I'm like, wait, is this actually in my DVD version? <laughs> I was convinced that it was like, oh, it was something they added for the HBO broadcast. <laughs> oh man, that's good. <laughs> and then the other thing that really kind of blew my mind, but I thought was hysterical was when they're trying to, um, Oh God! Uh, outrun the mother and Alec Baldwin, and okay. the two the two things pull up in the in the cop paraphernalia. Yeah, and they, and they ask for her license in the in her um insurance paperwork yep. registration. And and what and literally they he, he she hands it to one of the things, <laughs> and this thing just shoves it in its mouth and starts eating its 
then proceeds to choke on it. (laughs) And the other thing shows up and proceeds to give it the Heimlich maneuver. Yeah. And and while this is happening, like Alec Baldwin's like, I've had enough of this, gets on the motorcycle that the things drove up on, starts chasing the kids in in the cat. And then like we cut back 10 minutes later and the mother is still there as the one and she says something like, she's like, this is just ridiculous. I need to get home. And she, they're still giving the Heimlich maneuver to the Oh, yeah. That is so funny. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's like, okay. And that's just like, like on the scale of comedic hilarity of this film, that's like about a seven. Oh, yeah. That That's not even top tier. Yeah. As <laughs> it, it, odd as that sounds. But yeah, that was like, like the Rastafarian thing really kind of blew my mind, especially with like, all the piercings, the hat. And then he's like, Will you hold my dog? And he's like, well, man, I don't think I can do it. Like, it's not, I don't like using the D word. It's canine American. Yeah. Oh, and I'm like, I'm like, oh my God, this, this is like, it's funny. 15 years later, it's just as brilliant. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This movie was certainly ahead of its time. <laughs> I think th- like, this is another one of those, like, I, I've never described the movie this way. I cut, ca- I've explained Daft Punk's random access memories CD mm-hmm. is this, but like I feel like I feel like it's a piece of media that's so far ahead of its time that people like outside of like a select group of people, most audiences won't able be able to appreciate it. Sure, like sure. it's it's so like beyond what most common folk are. It's meant for mm-hmm. that. It's like, it's such a shame that it's wasted on the masses. Mm, gotcha. Gotcha. It's like, it's so good. It's beyond comprehension. Okay. Okay. Right on. I didn't know you liked that album. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, it's funny. I, well, random access memories is kind of like a part of the thing where like, I, I admire it more than I like it. Oh, okay. Gotcha. And it's yeah. like, just cause I don't like something doesn't mean I can't admire it. Oh, and, of course, of course, and, and that's why, like, when that album came out, everyone's like, in like all like the Metacritic ratings, like, oh, it has like a ninety-eight, like a ninety-eight, and I'm like, people are saying that, but they're not getting it though. It's like you're, you're mm-hmm. just, it's like at that point, Daft Punk became like this thing everybody had to like, yeah, because they hadn't released a new album in like twelve years, yeah, and yeah. It, it, it became this thing where like it became because they were so like just on the fringes of the music scene, mm-hmm. and like, and when they did kind of come out of hiding, everyone's like, oh my god. Like it's, it's like what happened with the Tron soundtrack. Like, oh, like everyone's like, like they hadn't recorded anything yet. And like when they were announced, everyone's like, oh my god. Yeah. Like that's not that's not that's not taking anything away from them. It's just the whole idea that people just get yeah, like yeah. uh praise without anything to even back it up with. It's just oh, we're giving exactly. them praise for being there. Which again, like in their case, I think it's it's earned. But um, Zach's probably gonna bleep this entire yeah. or cut out this entire conversation. But just so he knows, just so you're well aware, Zach, I don't remember the name of the song. But one of the features on Random Access Memories is Panda Bear from Animal Collective. Oh, really? Yeah, 100%. Doing your right, everybody will be dancing tonight. Everybody will be right, let's go all night. Shut up, all of you break out of the light. Everybody will be right, let's go all night. Shut up, all of you break out of the light. If you lose your No, it's getting back to the uh, the cat in the hat. So it's ahead of its time. I think that's where we were going yeah, with this. Yeah, and that's like I don't even think it's aware of it. It's like ahead of its time. I think it's just like it transcends what it's trying to be. 
Okay. Okay. Like, like I remember, like when we talked about the holiday special on the Star Wars podcast, we just kind of discussed it under the lens of this is a surrealist masterpiece. Yes. And I think this might be the only other companion we found for the holiday special. Ah. Okay. I could. I could certainly see that. Like I think. Like I think they have some of the very exact same hallmarks. They both like, have a cooking segment. Yes, I think I mean, <laughs> that's the first canary in the coal mine when you can see if there's anything else in that uh, realm. But no, I think it's like you have these things that are meant to appeal to mass audiences. Yep. Again, the Star Wars holiday special, a Mike Myers $100 million cat in the hat live action film. And somehow in the process, um, they lose focus of what it is that it's supposed to be. And for most people, it'd be for the worse. But I think for you and I, it can be said it's it's immensely for the better. Oh, yeah. 100%. Because there's things that happen in this that, not to repeat the phrase that was uttered a dozen times during the Gods of Egypt episode, but it's, that's a thing that happens in this movie. Yeah, yeah. And and yet, like when we talk about Gods of Egypt, like, like oh, you have Gerard Butler going full-on Scottish in the <laughs> film. Yet, in this, like, it's somehow, this movie is more absurd than Gods of Egypt is. Oh, oh, absolutely, yeah. I, I would say, you know, when, when I think of that absurdity, I definitely think that, you know, Gods of Egypt, even though it might have been loose, they set some rules for their universe. This, this movie, The Cat in the Hat, is just some omniscient and omnipresent god that can do whatever he wants at any time, it seems. And and that I love. I love that aspect that, you know, there there's no kind of structure to any of this. It all kind of just can be thrown out the window at a moment's notice for the purposes of a, a three sentence joke or a three second joke or something like that. Oh, absolutely. Because, again, I don't want to break it down. But like even like how I said how the film like, again, let's go back to this hypothetical scenario of 16 year old babysitter to five year old. Mm-hmm. And you're watching this, and again, the beginning's rather cute. It's quaint. It's what you'd expect. And then we see Sally on her little pe- or her little. Uh, I don't, did I say what what it is that she says her final line? Her final line. Her little uh, to do list. No, I don't think you did. She says, "Amend her will." Amend. Oh, okay, <laughs> great. <laughs> which, which that a lot. And the funny thing is, that you can't. You can barely. I, I rewound it like three or four times and could not mm-hmm. make out what she was saying. I turned the captioning on, and that's why I saw it. Okay, and and that and that was like, oh my. Okay, this is what you're getting. Your if you know how to read the tea leaves, tea leaves for cinematis, that should be your first sign that you are in for a fantastic ride. <laughs> oh yeah. When, when you have little like eleven year old Dakota Fanning say, "I have to make, I have to amend my will." It's not <laughs> even make a will; it's amend my will. Yeah. <laughs> for a child to say that in a kids film automatically you get a green light from cinematis. Yeah, I have to agree. I didn't pick up on that one, but but yeah, that's that's just awesome. So we we see that, and in the background we have Conrad going around, and we see him like empty out like a basket of oranges, oddly enough, like a colander with like walnuts in it, because why not? Yeah. And we see him like going around, he's like making a bag of popcorn, and like and because how we're first introduced to him is even weird. We see him coming down the stairs wearing like bear claw slippers. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and it starts it starts at the shot of the feet. Yeah. With, with Nevins, yep. Yeah. 
And so we see him going around like getting all these like he's making popcorn. He's like just taking things and like like he pulls out an entire drawer in the kitchen and lets all the contents spill on the floor. And we see him and eventually like we like the camera slowly pans up the staircase and we see him and he has like he, oh god, he has like a towel strapped around his chest. He ha- he's wearing the colander as a helmet. He has two ba- two Popped bags of popcorn for knee guards, yeah, like taped around his his, his knees. And the best part is, he has a loaf of like Wonder yeah. Bread. He has it. He pulls his like comically oversized corduroy shorts. He pulls them open, shoves the loaf of bread down his <laughs> pants to use as a cup yep. to protect his groin. But before he lets go of the bread, he reaches down. Pulls out a wad of like two slices of bread, takes a bite out of it, and throws the rest of it on the ground. Yeah, and then I think he screams something as he's as he's chewing on the bread. Yeah, as a mouthful of bread. Yes, he says something, and then we proceed him to do. He says something. Yeah, he says um, oh god, because we can't hear him. He says something like rum rum rum, and she's like, yeah, she repeats it. Yeah, yeah she goes stare loose. And he's like, rah, yeah. rah, rah, rah. and so he he starts losing down their staircase. It's at least two stories high. And as he's doing this, he's about to crash into the front door. The mother walks in, opens the door as he goes flying outside <laughs> and crashes into the driver's side door of his mother's car. Yep. <laughs> yep. <laughs> like, and, and keep in mind, we are not five minutes into this film yet. <laughs> Oh my god! Like, and that again. The table is set, and the and the weird thing is, as you're watching this, the movie is rather tame before the cat shows up. Oh yeah! Oh oh, definitely. There's a huge shift in in the the style and the levels of absurdity once Mike Myers makes his appearance. Absolutely. Oh, absolutely. And I again, I I I I feel I don't want to do a breakdown. Yeah, I feel by not highlighting everything in this movie, I'm not doing it justice. <laughs> I know, but I know, but we we would be here forever if we talked yes, about we everything in this movie. <laughs> that's 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 my concern with this. Is like I feel like every moment of this film should be celebrated, and yet it has like a nine on like nine like a nine percent on Rotten Tomatoes. Oh God. <laughs> Yeah, I, I agree with you, Zach. I think it is, you know, from start to finish, it's a it's a riot. You know, you're laughing for so many different reasons with all these things. And, you know, I from from the stuff that like you said already, you know, those kind of those jokes that are given to the audience right away and to even some of the more subtle stuff. Like, I think something that I didn't pick up on until I watched this, um, watched it again for this recording was I love the fact that every single time Nevins, the dog, uh is able to get out of the house, it just fucking sprints away from the house. <laughs> like, I love the fact that the two or three times we get to see Nevins, like, get free, it runs, it just bolts as far away from the house as it can. And something that, when I watched it yesterday for this, something about that, I, I was laughing hysterically. <laughs> Yeah, that's that, that that yeah, that's another hallmark of this. The fact that and like Alec Baldwin will show up and be like, and yet somehow the kids can never catch the dog. Yeah, yeah. Alec Baldwin just able to basically pick it up at a moment's yeah. notice. Yeah, he could just walk up to it and grab it. Yeah. Oh, it's 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 absolutely bonkers. And I think that's part of it too, is that much like the Star Wars holiday special, there's a level of just oh god, like an incons like an intentional inconsistency. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Where, where, like you said, there's, there's no like the the only rule is that there's no rules. Yeah, 
Exactly. Yeah, they got the, the cat in the hat can, like, teleport, you know? It's never stated, but we see him do it all the time. Yeah, like, again, he, he really is not bound by any law of physics or laws yeah, he's, of physics. It's revealed he's the narrator at the end. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, it's, it's, it's crazy. It so really there, there was something that stood out to me before the cat showed up that I have to I have to highlight. It, it's kind of to me, even though it's hard to, you know, distinguish these moments, because I think what I'm about to say was such a specific moment. I think in this movie, there was like a Cheddar Goblin type moment for me where something happened that I was so unsuspecting of. I just like lost it and loved it. Because remember, the, of course, for our audience, anyone who, who hasn't watched Mandy in the last week, Cheddar Goblin was, you know, Nicolas Cage, Cage's wife is dead. He's half dead, and he comes in, and he sees Cheddar Goblin on the TV throwing, throwing mac and, vomiting mac and cheese up on children. To me, in this movie, we get a Cheddar Goblin moment when Mrs. Kwan, the babysitter, shows up, and the first thing she puts on TV is the Taiwanese <laughs> Parliament filibuster on Z-SPAN. That is so funny to me, where you see, like, one, like, I guess, what, one Parliament member tackle another Parliament member? <laughs> oh, I love that scene because I love her comment. She goes, you tell him, Mr. So-and-so, no more big government. No more big government, <laughs> yes. Children, would you like to watch television with me? We don't have to tell your mother. Taiwanese Parliament. You tell them, Guai Jung. No more big government. Rip his heart out. That is that is just beautiful. That is. I think I've said it before, and it's been established on this podcast. I love absurdity in every way, shape, or form. And that is absurdity at one of its finest points, is throwing that into this movie. With all the other craziness we get in this movie, that will always stand out to me. The Taiwanese parliament filibuster scene. <laughs> well, even, like, even that, like I was laughing. Because the, like, there are so many small moments in this that I forgot. And because, like, and yes, like the cooking segment was always one of my favorites. Uh, like, they're, they're the big set pieces that you remember. Yeah. But it's the yeah. small ones that you realize oh, there's even brilliance in the small connective moments that aren't supposed to be the, like, a dance number or them driving the slow to town. Yeah. Yep. And, like, even, like, I guess it's another point to bring up with this. And I guess it's, like, and remind me to bring this up before we end this conversation. Okay. But I, I think going back to your original point, of like do people know what this is mm -hmm. I think this film Might be kind of subliminally Or maybe subconsciously Responsible for a lot of how 
at least us, you and I, and maybe more people in our generation like think and what we find funny, because this film is like incredibly meta. Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. Like like the cat pretty much breaks the wall every single time he's on. I'm sorry, breaks the fourth wall yeah. every single time he's on screen. Mm-hmm. Oh, hundred percent. And I think a lot of that is like considering, considering now how everything has to be self-referential. Yeah. I think this is one of those films that, like, again, it made a hundred million dollars. It probably sold pretty well on DVD. And I think this, you know, a lot of people don't hold this film in high regard. I think it's fair to say that we are in the extreme minority. I think this film bled into a lot. A lot of people our age is uh, psyches. It yeah, definitely bled. Yeah. I, I definitely think so. And if it didn't, I agree with you. And I'm going to go a step further and say, even if for, you know, maybe we think of all the people that this influenced in some way. Uh, there's the people who saw it when they were kids or whatever, you know. Even if you didn't see it when you were a kid and you kind of went through life maybe not seeing this movie or not really knowing about it, I think that this has had so much influence on other artists that are mainstream that you a lot of people got influences from influence from this kind of indirectly. Like, I think that this style of humor and, like Zach said, how meta it is, not only shaped a lot of our, our you know, generation and the people who think about this, but a lot of the creative forces of that generation as well. You know, of course, the first thing that comes to mind is I, I think if we didn't get this in 2003, The Cat in the Hat, we would never have gotten a Mr. Sprinkles from Royland and Harmon. I think that this is an important stepping stone to get to things like Rick and Morty, just all of that evolution. Absolutely. Yeah, that's a good point. God, Mr. Sprinkles, I haven't heard that name in a while. Because Mr. Sprinkles isn't fourth wall breaking, but it's meta. It's it's very much taking the idea of a cat that breaks into your house so you can have fun and puts it in the modern world, which is kind of what this movie, you know, 50% of the way does. It still has that fan- fantasy elements to it that Mr. Sprinkles removes. But but like I said, I think this is an important stepping stone to get to the Rick and Mortys of today, to get to, you know... Um, community from Dan Harmon as well to get to these things that are different humor that people have started to latch onto and really, really come to love. Yeah. Like that's a good point. I never thought of it that way. Kind of like the, the butterfly effect of some of this stuff that if it weren't for this getting made in 2003, they might have Dan Harmon and Justin Roiland might never have done Mr. Sprinkles, mm-hmm. which then doesn't get them attention by, it doesn't give them a platform into that world. And, and maybe Rick and Morty doesn't happen because of that. Yeah, exactly. And that's that's an interesting point. The fact that some of this stuff that again, I, I think this film, the more more that I, I give that that idea some thought, it might be one of those films that bleeds into the sub. Like, I, I don't even know if like how many other films you could even say that the films that aren't easily recognizable for most people, yet they're mm-hmm. somehow blended. They they've seeped into the, the the psyche of the culture. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Because you never again, like I even in my I know during our Grinch two thousand episode, I talked about the fact that how like there was so little Jim Carrey Grinch merchandise. Mm-hmm. I went looking for this, and they did outside like a couple like I don't know like picture books. They did not make any plushies, toys, oh. anything of Mike Myers Cat in the Hat. There is no like toy of Mike Myers Cat in the Hat. Is there a Nevin's toy? No, there's no Damn. toys of, of Conrad or Sally or Alec Baldwin or the things. Like, even, like, like of course, there's thing plushies. Like, oh, they've yeah, been making well, those for, for years. Yeah. But, like, and they didn't make plushies for this movie, but they're of the traditional cat in the hat from, from okay. the book. From the book, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm, except for, like, the poster and a couple of just, like, uh, ancillary tie-in books. 
Mm-hmm. There is no Mike Myers Cat in the Hat merchandise. Damn. Okay. Okay. And I, I can again. I know we talked about the fact that like like Seuss's widow was like like flabbergasted at this and forbade them from ever making another live action Seuss movie yeah. after this. Yeah. Which might be this film's greatest impact or its most noteworthy uh, uh, bit of trivia about it, though. But again, getting back to the, the the fourth wall breaking, even like how we're introduced to the cat, because we have the famous shot, which is in the book. It's raining outside. The kids are looking like looking out the windowsill on it's 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 pouring rain and the cat just shows up. They see him. They run and hide. And then they go somewhere like, what was that? And they go and hide in the closet. And then he's like, and he starts talking again. They run and hide. And they go mm. upstairs and hide under the bed. And obviously the camera slowly pans out. And he's been there the entire time. And he said he has some funny quip. And he wastes and he like taps his fingers and goes, Run and hide. Scre- scream, scream and run. And, yeah. Scream and run. And he goes, <laughs> And there you go. And then the best part is he's like sitting still. Like he's just sitting still. And then the camera cuts to behind the bed or behind the kids as they back out. Yep. And we see his feet just like rapidly from excitement just kicking yeah and, and it's the fact that again you have this oh god it, it's i don't want to say it's jarring because it's not but it's like i think i compared this already to the star wars holiday special but i think the next apt comparison to this is stanley kubrick's the shining in the sense <laughs> of just how i love it <laughs> in that i think you could make a room What's it called? 327? 237. 237. I think you can make a Room 237 documentary about this film, about all these weird just continuity (laughs) errors and just insanity of what's going on. I'm thinking of it. I'm thinking of exactly that point in Room 237 where they're talking about um, the tricycle ride for the kid and how it doesn't make physical sense that he's, he's riding places that don't exist in the context of the movie. And and you could probably do that same exact thing with the house or with the slow or where they drive. It's like they're driving through houses right now. What's going on? <laughs> Basically, because like at one point, like when the things are like wrecking the house, and there's like there's like a white I don't want to call it a wide shot, but it's like a shot of like like an X-ray oh, shot. Oh yeah, house the, uh, the, the cross section. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's like oh, like that doesn't make any sense. Then you have other things too, like the. Um, when they take, they ride Mrs. Kwan at the end of the film through like the <laughs> the fantasy house. Yeah. Um. I know. Like, I think there is so much in this film that's just, oh god, disconnected from real, even its own reality. Absolutely. Like even the, again, like and yes, there's the more obvious thing, like again, the slow where it has three steering wheels mm-hmm. or the dirt machine that can clean up anything. And even the cat's hat, which has all these kind of like, like inspector gadget level functions. Yeah. And I think one of the things that too, that I know, cause as I was preparing for this, I watched a nostalgia critics review of this and he just eviscerates it. Oh. And you know, it's disappointing. And even like in the fun things that like the cat is introduced in, in less than like five minutes after he's introduced, he tries rhyming and just goes, he gives up and goes, I'm not into rhyming. Why, I'm the cat in the hat. There's no doubt about that. I'm a super fun, different feline who's here to make sure that you're me line, key line, turpentine. I got nothing. I'm not so good with the rhyming. Not really. No. Yeah. <laughs> Which again, imagine a Dr. Seuss movie where one of the characters explicitly says to the audience, 
or technically the titular character says, mm-hmm. imagine like a 2018's Benedict Cumberbatch, the Grinch, where he turns to the camera and goes, I don't know how to rhyme and I'm not going to do it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like that's not going to happen. Like you're not going to have that nowadays. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think that's kind of like, it's funny. I complained. The reason why I dislike Watchmen so much is the, this is the antithesis to that. I love the fact that this film has such free creative reign. And that they were not afraid to go off the reservation. And yes, mass audiences for the most part rejected it. They made a masterpiece in the process. I, I have to agree about this movie, not about Watchmen. But I think <laughs> I, I'm on this I'm on the kind of same boat where, you know, where it's not kind of the same thing. It's like I love I love the source material of Watchmen. I love that the adaption is so faithful to it and kind of captures a lot of the same motion that I felt when I read it. This is Almost the opposite, because I I have no major attachment to Dr. Seuss or The Cat in the Hat, the original source material. But this is a movie and a sense of humor that I want to uh, watch. I want to expose myself to. Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, that's I think that's what this is really, especially in nowadays where everything has to be so. Uh, beholden to the source material mm-hmm. for whatever mm-hmm. reason, and even like uh, 2018's The Grinch, it's like I like that movie. It's cute. It's it's pretty much what you would imagine a modern retelling of that story would be. Okay. It's not it's not bad. It's cute for what it is, though. But it's not very memorable. Like I, gotcha. I people might hate this movie, but you'll never forget about it after you've watched it. Okay, okay, I, I agree completely. I think that's the point that a lot of people I, I think that's always been my thing with movies Is that I'd rather watch A bad movie But at least feel something Than watch Captain Marvel And just be and just like More or less be in a state of just like Borderline comatose And then after I've watched it Forgot about it Literally, I don't remember a single thing about it I watched the movie less than 24 hours ago Yeah I can't tell you a single thing about it <laughs> yeah, I know exactly what you mean. Yeah, hundred percent. That's why it's again, it's it's the quarter pounder of films, mm-hmm. and this and this is kind of like the black Burger King bun burger that makes your poop glow in the dark. <laughs> You're gonna remember it whether you like it or not. <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah, absolutely, Ab- absolutely. That's a great way to describe it. Oh god, because like even like again, not to highlight more moments, but when we're introduced to the cat. Like, you have a moment where, like, where'd you come from? And he's like, how do I put this? Okay. With a mommy cat and a daddy cat. And, the, and that's not bad enough. He actually starts to make the finger gestures. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and the best part of this is that people, like, like Brian Grazer is a producer on this. Like, mm-hmm. Brian Grazer is kind of like a legendary producer in Hollywood. Oh, yeah. And, and nobody said no to any of this. They could have very easily zoomed in in post-production on his face and eliminated that. Somebody, Nobody said, no, let's not do that. Let's keep <laughs> the hand gestures in there. Good old 2003. <laughs> Good old 2003. And then even like when they go downstairs, he sees the, 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 the picture frame of the mother. Oh, and yeah. He, and he pulls the frame out. And it's basically like what? A, uh, a centerfold. A, cent- a centerfold yeah. of the mother. The, the music. There's a musical cue of romantic music also in that scene. That's great. <laughs> and the best part, too, is that he, like, they say, they're like, he's like, who's this? That's our mother. 
And he's like, awkward. Awkward. <laughs> and then he says, well, I'll save this for later. He literally puts the, again, you're combining uh, raunchy humor with surrealism as he puts the frame, like, in part of his, like, yeah. oh, God, his, his, what do you want to call it? Technically, it's his fur, but he's, like, putting fur, it, like, yeah. in, he's putting it basically, like, in his shoulder pocket of, like, like, a, like you would, like, a jacket. Exactly. And he even turns away from the camera a little <laughs> bit while he does it. Oh, it's great. It's all you're no you're so right and and you know I, I I get where you're coming from where it's so difficult not to point out a lot of those tiny details but that's what makes this movie that's what makes this humor is that they don't slow down I think I've said it to to Zach before on this podcast I love humor that I can watch multiple times and find a new joke every single time and that is this movie's a great example of it there's all these small things that you know because you're laughing so hard at one thing you're gonna miss the next one and you're gonna get it on that rewatch and and that makes it golden yeah i guess that's and that's the things like oh god god i'm good i don't want to do it i don't want to do it i don't want to break okay well since you you picked out some small moments i have to i have to highlight a small moment i really loved uh the first time we are introduced to alec baldwin's character what's it larry or lawrence yes lawrence Um, larry Laura, yeah, uh, he is in an all-purple suit. Like, if, if he just had a green vest, it would be the Joker suit, basically. But it's all purple, 100%. And at the end of his first scene, after he does the whole, oh, you need to send Spencer Breslin off to military school, when he has to leave, he gets, like, he gets a page. Like, his beeper goes off. His beeper is also completely purple. It's awesome. Because later on in the movie, we find out he doesn't actually have a job. He actually isn't a salesman. He's this bum who's getting repoed left and right. But he can afford a complete purple outfit to, to like, trick this woman into marrying him. Fucking fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> well, even one thing, I didn't even pick up on this. I was watching, because I had the DVD I have. It works. It just doesn't play the whole movie. Yeah, So yeah. I was watching the bonus features. Ooh. And they were explaining like, the bonus features were kind of really annoying. There's like 18 different like little features, but they're like two minutes in length. Oh, yeah. So you can't just watch them all at once. You got to go from like one to one. And I didn't even pick up on this. They say that all the characters in the movie drive electric cars, except for Alec Baldwin, who's the only character that drives like what? He drives like a Mustang and he drives yeah, a yeah, gas powered like It's the only one that looks like a real car, I would say. Yeah, and even that because they're like, oh, he drives a gas ca- gas powered car because he's the bad guy. And I'm like, I didn't even pick up on the fact that like, oh, yeah. gas powered car versus all the other cars. Because if you think about it, you don't hear any room room sounds when they're driving, mm-hmm. uh, when the mother's driving around, or when the slow is driving around. I think obviously the slow is like, like oh my god, has like a giant flame. It's like an exhaust port. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But it's like, yeah, like, again, Alec Baldwin, Alec Baldwin's whole shtick through this, that he's essentially like, what, he's a bum welfare queen. Mm-hmm. Yo, that, that scene, the one scene in the movie where we see Alec Baldwin, like, go into full bum mode, like, when he takes off his cummerbund and he's, like, picking at his belly button with his tongue out and the repo men show up, that's so funny to me. <laughs> There's something about that. It's just so comical because as far... But in the in the context of the movie, yeah, I get where you know he puts on a facade for for Joan for the mother because he wants to be with her. But then he's mean to the kids, and and the kids even see some stuff where he's like running around doing shady things. 
But it's only that one scene that we really get to see him being incredibly gross. And it seems so out of place, but for some, I don't know, strange, macabre reason, it fits so well. <laughs> oh, because even, like, because there's about 16 minutes of deleted scenes they had for this. I, I oh, was watching. nice. And there isn't, like, in the, how, they, how they get the doll, they get Nevins away from him is different in the deleted scenes. Oh. The Rastafarian scene isn't there. What they do is that as uh, Alec Baldwin pulls up to the town. Get out of my way, you hippie freak. <laughs> <laughs> that was a great line. <laughs> oh, oh, yeah. Like I said, that, that, that's, it's funny. I think Alec Baldwin said it's one of his wives at this point. Get out of my way, you hippie freak. Um, but no, in the deleted scenes, what happens is that as he's pulling up to the town with, with Nevins, he sees the, the, the repo man repossessing, like, giving the TV back to the TV store and he goes in with with nevins and the kids chase him in there and he sees like he's like i want my tv back what if i give you like two dollars and i get to take the tv home and i'll pay you back later and the guy like in the owner of the store like rolls his eyes then alec Baldwin has like like a a light bulb moment and he's like how about this i'm about to be a very wealthy man by marrying my neighbor what's the biggest tv you got and the guy's like step this way sir and something happens where he, 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 the guy like walks away, but he has to like find, he's got like put Nevin's, uh, Nevin somewhere yeah. to keep him safe, not safe, but keep him from running away. So he removes the back panel of his old TV, rips the wires out and literally ties Nevin's up <laughs> with the wire and puts him in the back of the TV. <laughs> and then the kids come and find Evans. They take, they take the wires off him, but then they have a very similar moment to what happens with the, um, the pinata at the party okay. where uh, Alec Baldwin and the TV store owner come back and the cat like becomes like a, like a bear skin rug as he lays flat on the ground. Gotcha. And as this happens, they like take chairs up and they place the chairs on the cat's back as obviously he's in agony. Mm-hmm. And after that, um, Alec Baldwin's like, what kind of, what's this, what's the size of the TV that I'm getting? And, and the owner calls the secretary out, Joan, or no, Joan's the, the, the mother. Uh, 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 oh my God. Uh, Jessica, come out here. And the secretary comes out smoking a cigarette with like the most pointy heels possible. And is like walking on the cat. And then he's like, Jessica, put out that cigarette. So she literally puts it out <laughs> on the cat's back. And then after she puts it out, she like takes her heel and like rubs it into him even further. And after that, she like, st- and he says something to Alec Baldwin, like comes on to her or something. And she like stomps sure. off. She literally stomps off. And then after that, the store owner's son comes back and his team from hockey practice as they have their <laughs> hockey blades on as they're sitting there <laughs> trampling on the cat. And the cat's obviously having act is an agony at this point. Oh, I love it. And then after that, cause it's comedy oh in, the, in the rule of threes, the owner's like younger brother comes and he's like 800 pounds and he's uh, riding a pogo stick. <laughs> and it's at that point, the cat gets up cause he can't take anymore. Mm-hmm. And they go to the, the, they, they escape the store and then they go proceed to the, uh, subterranean rave. Okay. Okay. Damn. <laughs> yeah. So like there are other scenes with Alec Baldwin kind of being nasty. Gotcha. Okay. Like he ties the dog up. Yeah, I get you. I, I like the scene that's in the movie because of more, I guess, the the nasty in terms of, like, the, the disgusting aspect. 
Well, it's right. Well, it, it's but, crude. But yeah, it's crude. Yeah, it's crude. Yeah, exactly. That's the word I was looking for. Crude. Yeah. And so, yeah, but, I, I hear you. But that's the thing where, again, the level, like, there's so, this, this movie has so many layers in comedy. Like, you have, like, there's a scene in this, again, early on, where Mrs. Kwan is sitting there and he's like, who's this? He's like, who's this animal? And, and they're like, that's our babysitter. Babysitter, you pay this woman to sit on babies. Yeah. I'll yeah. do it for free. And that's like that's a line that like six year olds would go ha 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 Six year olds mm. would eat that line up. Then you have again, like you mentioned, with the Alec Baldwin picking his belly button. That's the stuff that the eight year olds will laugh at. Yeah. But then you have jokes when the cat pulls out his phenometer with a pH, and. <laughs> I think it's a pH, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, definitely. pH, yeah. And he puts it on Sally's... He does Sally first, and he puts it on her forehead. And as the thing's spinning around, it has, like, four quadrants. It has just right, rule breaker, and control freak. And the first time he applies it to her forehead, it says, serial arsonist. Yeah. <laughs> and, and on the little dial, the little, like... Like, avatar of the, of the person's face, the little eyebrows start to flail. Yeah. <laughs> Again, like he's such a small moment, and then he taps on the glass, and it spins around, and it goes to control freak, mm-hmm. and then Conrad goes like, "Oh, do me, do me next." So it goes to him, and the little <laughs> dial starts spinning around, and you expect the same thing to be like, "Oh, it's going to land on um, rule breaker," uh, rule breaker. and then it goes from rule breaker to bedwetter as we hear a tool uh, a toilet flushing sound yeah yep. and, and he turns around to the cat and goes tap the glass and the cat <laughs> responds with because that's what the cat did with sally's so he got the, the right answer and the cat turns around to conrad's comment and goes tap it listen kid you can tap it with a hammer it ain't gonna change <laughs> <laughs> like, like it's brilliant. Like this is the sort of comedy we need. Like that is clever, clever comedy that we don't we didn't get enough of then, and we yep. don't get enough of now. Absolutely. And yet, people will throw. Well, to quote our famous teacher, Led Newsdat, they threw they pe- critics threw the baby out with the bathwater. Mm-hmm. Like no, this film. Like, like I think everything in this film works perfectly, but I get much like the Star Wars holiday special. It's not for everyone. Yes, but at the same time, though, that is that is brilliant comedy combined with excellent timing. And yet, how can you throw that out? Like, how can you like that is perfect. That joke works at every single layer. It builds, it builds, and it crescendos at a spot where you're not expecting it. Exactly, and you know, I think. I think it's a combination of, of everything. You know, they had this movie, they had this this source material, or, you know, their ideas of the source material, I should say, extensions of ideas. Uh, Mike Myers, it all it all just, it's, it's almost like, you know, a, a perfect storm of, of just something that, you know, we don't get enough of. Like you said, I'm in 100% agreeance. Oh, boy. Oh, my God. And uh, I think there's something, there's something else we haven't even mentioned that's part of this movie. I, I don't know if you were planning on getting it to in greater detail, but the Smash Mouth cover of a Beatles song. <laughs> that, just, that just fits with everything we've been talking about. But that, well, and not just a Beatles song, a song from fucking Sgt. Peppers is in yeah. this movie. What's considered the greatest album of all time. Not just the greatest Beatles album, but people regard this to be the greatest composition of music ever. And and one of the songs is covered by Smash Mouth for this. <laughs> but I think that's... Okay, this is the weird thing that kind of happens with like the la- like um, the passage of time. 
Okay. Helping this age like a bottle of wine is that it's like, look at the holiday special. Again, to compare it to that, like when that originally happened, and George Lucas sees the the grandfather Wookiee seeing Diane Carroll porn in the visor, he's <laughs> pulling his hair out, going, "Oh my God, what is this?" Mm-hmm. And at the time, people were probably like embarrassed. Now we look at that, and we're and we find that so amusing because just like that would never be allowed to pass nowadays. Yeah, like you would you would never get that. And yet, at the time when they were making that, making the Smash Mouth cover, even the cat has the meta breaking the fourth wall line of dialogue. We even got the up tempo pop song yeah. in there. The That's studio... always good for the marketing or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He says something like that. And yet, at the time, that was probably being done to be like make it commercial. Mm-hmm. Yet now we look at that like you like you already laid out. We see that as like, oh my god, Smash Mouth, which is considered to be one of the most kind of just like, oh god, conventional. Oh god, like, I'm pretty sure every movie that came out in 1999 through 2002 had a Smouse, Smash Mouth song associated with it. Oh yeah, yeah, they were they were. Uh, as far as my personal history with music goes, they're the first band that I ever kind of understood what a commercial band was. They not not just uh, probably for lack of a better term, but they were sellouts. They were how do we get our music to support anything else for money? You know, you're talking about this, you're talking about commercials, you're talking about Shrek, all that stuff. Oh, exactly. Like I'm pretty sure everybody and their brother is aware. Hey, now you're an all star. Da 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 da. My that's favorite, what- my favorite version of that song is the YouTube like 10 hour version <laughs> where it starts playing the song. And when they get to the part where where he sings and they don't stop coming, it just repeats and they don't stop coming for 10 hours. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> but that's but I think that's the the brilliance of this is that you it's like what else would be a better way to have during the climax of this movie or the resolution of it than a smash ma- or add to the surrealism of this is have the most commercial band of all time or the most oh, not commercial. That's not fair. Or not yeah. correct, but like you said, like a band that was ubiquitous, that sold out, really had like God, they had no artistic inc- integrity left by November of two thousand three, covering <laughs> a song from one of the most important albums of all time. Yes, like that's again, that's that's oh my lord! You, oh, they know, could- and they they even cut out. So the only thing that I would I would I would say would make this better is if they didn't cut out the one verse of the original Getting Better that they did. If you actually compare the Smash Mouth cover and the original Beatles song, there is one verse that uh, that John Lennon sings that Smash Mouth just decides to sing the chorus again. And it's the verse that starts with John Lennon saying, I used to be cruel to my woman. I beat her and kept her apart from the things that she loves. I used to be cruel to my woman. I beat her and kept her apart from the things that she loves. And yes, that's a real line in the original Getting Better. And they decided not to put it in this movie. I think they should have. They should have just went all out. They should have went for the wife beater John Lennon aspects. <laughs> they would have just added to the absurdity. No, no one, no one would have noticed. That's the fun part. Like at that point, <laughs> yes. you, you, you're either along with the ride, along for the ride, but you're not. Like, like imagine somebody like, being on board with this movie. They get to that point and they're like, "Nope, I'm out." We can't, we can't have the "I was cruel to my woman" line. That won't fly. I mean, we'll have the dirty hoe line. <laughs> But we can't have the I beat my wife line from John Lennon. No, no, no. That crosses it. (laughs) We'll have the cat getting literally 
baseball bat in the groin. Yeah. That, no <laughs> one will have a problem with that. <laughs> oh my god, that's the thing. Like, there's a point in the movie where the cat has a baseball bat and is going to hit a kid in the head with it. Oh like, yeah, that's yeah. going to happen unless the kids intervene. They have to hold him back. Yep, yep. <laughs> and it's it's beans from even Stevens. Yeah, it's, it's be- <laughs> yeah. yeah, of course. That's another thing. Like at the time, that was like I remember watching this with my nephew, and anytime he appeared on, because everybody who grew up in the late '90s, early 2000s knew Beans from Even Stevens. Like he was just he was ubiquitous. If you watched one hour of cable television, you knew him. Yeah. And oh my, of course, it, it's kind of like in retrospect. Of course, it's Beans. Why wouldn't it be him? <laughs> Of course it's beans. Oh <laughs> <laughs> um, like who else would be like in all honesty, Rob, like if we were making this movie, I guess that's another point I want to bring up. Um I'm pretty sure that if somebody gave Rob and I <laughs> oh God. a, a hundred and something million dollars to make this movie, I think it would be the exact same movie that we were watching right now. That's a really good point. And I think that I was a little worried when you were pitching this question because I, I don't think there's much I would change. I really love a lot of I mean, you know. From the major stuff, uh, Mike Myers. I'm a huge fan of Mike Myers, of course. I think he does a great job. I really like Spencer Breslin in this role. I think he puts on a great performance. Dakota Fanning. I love seeing her in movies where she isn't screaming. What was it? War- <laughs> Wasn't she in War of the Worlds and all she did was scream the entire time? Yeah, Tom- pretty much. Was that her? Yeah, with Tom Cruise. Um, but no, even the, even the more minor performances, like um, Sean Hayes as the boss when he's like doing his, his crazy over the top vocals and stuff for you're fired, you know, that type of stuff. I, it, it's all perfect. It really, because I, again, I, as I do on the star Wars podcast, and I talk about like how, like I can, like, I think we even talked about it on here. Like if I, again, I'm a schmuck sitting in my room yet. There are people making six, if not seven figures to figure this stuff out. <laughs> and yet I'm able to figure it out better than they can and yeah i watched this there's not a single thing that i could do to this to make it better or make more zany there's not a single thing i could do i yeah I, I'm, I'm right there with you with the one exception of adding that verse back into oh. the, the cover of getting better <laughs> that's my I, one suggestion you know you know what i'll do you know what we're gonna, we're gonna give the producers of the cat and the hack the, the, the benefit of the doubt on this I'm pretty sure if you look, that cover probably existed before the film. So I would guess that it probably was a smash mouth decision to cut that out, not okay. the producers of The Cat in the Hat. Good point. Good point. So I'm going to give it to Bo Welch and the filmmakers. I'm okay. going to say that wasn't their decision. And that, and that if it was, if it was in the original, if it, again we have to go look. Maybe you can, if you don't know if right now, if you want to go type in the lyrics to the Smash Mouth version and see if it's in there. That but, it is literally. The the background of my desktop is the lyrics to the Smash Mouth version of this song. <laughs> in the original Smash Mouth version of this song, which I have to say, I don't know right now, I'd have to do some research, if it came out before or with the Cat in the Hat, they they do not sing that verse. Smash Mouth does not sing it. Yeah, that, that's that's what I mean. So I don't think okay. it's a cat. I, I don't, I, I don't okay, blame them. I'm pretty sure that if it was in the original Smash Mouth one, they would have kept it in. I, I, I am considering everything else that happens in this. I can't imagine it. I don't think there was a line. That's as weird as like we talk about like with blockbuster filmmaking. There's always like a line. I don't. I, this might be the only cinemati that we ever discuss in, in blockbuster <laughs> in blockbuster terms. Yeah, yeah. Or commercial filmmaking that there honestly was no line. It was just like do whatever you want. Yeah, that's a that's a good point. Could be. 
And that's because like as I'm even watching this, there's so many like jokes that just like I don't know who they're there for. Like <laughs> like very early in the film, when uh, the mother is at the at Sean Hayes's Mister what's his name Flume Flume Goggle Flume Babble Mister Hump. Huma flube, humba flube, something humba like flu- that. Whatever. And he's obviously OCD and he has to be like washing his hands. He's obsessed with cleanliness. Yeah. And he's called. Yeah, they his- have a sign, the building, the where they work, the bathroom, the wall of the bathroom says employees must wash hands constantly. <laughs> and and the best part of that, it's not just like a plaque. Like the bathroom is like four stories high. Oh, yeah. And, and it yeah. like and it's like communist propaganda, like like painted on the walls in like yeah. giant letters, billboard status. Yep. Yeah, and I'm like, you're again. This is a movie that like movies cost money to make. <laughs> they could have very easily had the exact same scene of like everybody like in like a bathroom washing their hands, and we see like a like a plaque that will cost ten dollars to make, and then we pan out from the plaque and we see all the employees like scrubbing their hands as they run away to go to the staff meeting. Yet they built a set that was like forty like forty feet yeah. high. <laughs> like again, there is no line. There is no just – that's the part of this. There's so many small things in this. Like everybody gets – like I know the biggest thing with this movie, like when you see it like in a, a Watch Mojo top 10 worst kids movies video, they'll highlight the dirty ho scene. Like that's the scene from this movie that everybody points to when they want to complain about this. Oh, okay. they, they always point to the dirty ho thing in the point where the cat's like, oh, baby, I'm sorry. And he sticks his tongue out. He's about to yeah. uh, give the ho a tongue kiss. And, and like that, like that's the thing people talk to. Yet there's so much stuff that's more bizarre in this than that one isolated joke. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and you know, I think I think that's just a problem with kind of you know when if people I, I can't speak for the people that are reviewing these and giving it you know critical pannings and things like that, but I think that's that's just the easiest thing for them to latch onto is the the presence of something of a sexual nature or a more sexual nature in something that's designed for kids. And they think that's the worst thing. They think, oh, this is our, this is, our, you know, revealing a world that shouldn't be revealed to our kids just yet. But I mean, just like Zach said, there's so much more that's bizarre and thought provoking. And honestly, stuff that could way more likely fuck a kid up if they see it than the dirty hoe line. But I think, but that's my thing though with this. And, and uh, the, Thai, the Taiwanese Parliament filibuster, like that. There's probably some kids that that stuck with. That just that concept of you know seeing crazy shit like that on Z-SPAN that stuck with them. I'm sure. <laughs> but I think okay, because that was a multi-layer thing, Robson. I want to kind of break that down. Is you have like the people who make the BuzzFeed listicle. In the Watch Mojo videos, crapping on this. I'm not mm-hmm. talking about Roger Ebert or Peter Travers from 15 sure. years ago. I'm not talking about them. Th- this that was back when film criticism still had some integrity. It just wasn't some guy um, who who gets to go to free screenings. It wasn't uh, you know just two people who know each other on a podcast screaming about shit, right? <laughs> no, well, I think we're not part of that. Though. Like, like again, like oddly enough, we might be media, but I don't think that's what we are. Um, okay, it's we're more cine, we're cinemedia. Oh no, I did that wrong. Automate media. Okay, I'm sorry. Mediaities, mediaities. Okay, yeah, we'll, we'll take that for now. But I, I jumped <laughs> the gun. I tried to say cinemedia. <laughs> we're cinematic media. Yeah. I'm sorry, Zach. Finish your point. 
um, but no, but like the people who are making those lists are people our age, if not younger. Yeah. And they were inter- if they were introduced to this with ki- if they were ever introduced to this as kids, they were in our age with it. And the okay. weird thing is that our generation, there is no such thing as sexual taboo anymore. Yes. There is nothing sexually that's off the table. There's nothing that you could be at a bar with friends and be and hear somebody say, Oh, can you believe what I just did to my boyfriend or girlfriend? There's nothing that somebody could say that you'd be like, Oh my god, that you've crossed the line. You ever seen how many like stepmother and stepsister porn videos there are? It's ridiculous. I I you know what I'm not touching that. It's, well, okay, well <laughs> then from Rob's, that. from Rob's point of view, it's ridiculous how many of those videos there are. I don't get it, but people clearly do. <laughs> Whatever turns you on, I guess. Not, yeah, yeah. Not, not you, not you as in Rob, but kind of like the uh, the the general yeah. you. Whatever yeah, turns I, I you think, people on, and I think that's what you're saying, Zach. Right? Is that there's no sexual taboo. Anyone is just open to you know discussing that stuff, and and you know that that's kind of the stuff that doesn't hold as much weight now as it might have done a, a few years ago, right? Yeah, and yet those same people will take that clip of the the dirty hoe with Mike Myers and point to that and be like. This is a bad movie. Mm. And that's what I find so fascinating is that like we are in this culture where like, I, I saw this meme once where someone said like it was like a picture of like a, a like a, a bruised banana. Well, okay. like, like or like, like a banana that's peeled, but it has like the brown mark where it was bruised, like under, under the skin. It's the flesh of the banana. And someone said like 94 percent of people won't eat this part of the banana. And then yet. They'll put another person's genitals in their mouth, <laughs> and, and like and I think that's like the best comparison I can make to this. It's like we have this culture where nothing is off limits, yet people will look at this movie and be like, "Ah, eh, eh. <laughs> that's a really good point. That that is that is a good point." Where I don't know, I I don't know. I have I have so many thoughts on that. I feel like we could devote an entire episode to that. You know where. Where you know you, you kind of have the whole surface level of where you know you have to sit you have to sit down for an hour and twenty minutes to see this and and then be able to make the determination if it's good or bad, or you know you can do ass to mouth for two minutes and make the determination if it's good or bad. <laughs> There's so many layers to this, Zach. But you're right. You're absolutely right. Times are changing. Times I want, they are a changing. I want it on record that we might be the first piece of media or criticism about this film to ever reference ass to mouth in comparison <laughs> in reference to this we are breaking new ground folks oh i i speaking of breaking new ground i i should say that um i uh one of the magazines i subscribe to on the cover of this month issue it has the words breaking new ground and when i pulled it out of my mailbox the goat scream played in my head that's that's what you've done to me zach <laughs> But yeah, but I, I like that we're breaking new ground, but you're exactly right. I think the points you're making are so valid where there there's some kind of inherent, significant, maybe not even cultural, but kind of personal on everybody's level. There's a difference between things that they are accepting of doing and things that they're not accepting of doing. Like I, I know, for example, I know people, I'll tell them, I'll be like, listen to this four minute song that I made and they'll never do it. But they'll sit down for eight hours and play League of Legends nonstop. And it's like, I don't get it, but sure, everybody has these weird limitations they put on themselves. Is that kind of what you're getting at? 
Well, I I don't even. I guess it's it's kind of the same thing that goes to the like is Rob knows with the Star Wars holiday special. It's that in today's culture, we like worship anything that's rare, like whether it be I don't know, like a rare baseball card or like like your like like the upside down plane stamp. Or like the first Superman comic, because most of those are just were destroyed. Just nobody kept stuff like that. We like, we worship things that are just so rare, and yet this movie, in my opinion, is just as rare as like a first edition Superman comic or a first issue Superman comic. You are never going to get another film like this. Yeah. You're just not. Like there's no one's ever going to give somebody a hundred million dollars to adapt a Dr. Seuss book and and there being no limitations on how to do it. Like yeah, this that's, is that's a that's a really good point. Even kind of extending it away from the Dr. Seuss aspect, you know, we've we've talked about plenty of movies on cinemodities that we have labeled with absurd. But nothing is absurd quite like this film is. Yeah, I think like we talk about the holiday special and I think much like we learned from Bruce Valanche, it's <laughs> like mind altering. It was the 70s, mind altering substances. It was Star Wars. Nobody knew what Star Wars was at the time. Mm-hmm. So there was kind of this idea like, OK, how far do we push it? Where Where's the point of no return? Yeah. And yet a cat in the hat live action adaptation three years after the Jim Carrey version Oh god, 40 years after the 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 animated specials they used to air of all his stories, you get this. Like this is the cinematic equivalent of a unicorn. And it yeah. should be it should be treasured as such by like I'm not saying I expect uh um the guy like I don't know Oh God, how do I describe this? Like the garbage man who who picks up garbage. I don't expect him to worship this as as a cinematic treasure. No. Yeah, I expect film scholars to look at this and be like, I might not like this. Yeah, mm-hmm. I should admire it for just what what they were able to accomplish and no one said no. Yeah, yeah, I, I completely agree. I hope that I hope that they there's I know not everybody's gonna do that, of course, but I hope that there's plenty out there who do accept it in that way. Absolutely. That's what I mean. Like in a day and age where we complain about the fact that no one's ever willing to take chances anymore. And yet you have the perfect example of somebody just taking a chance and we we spit on it. Yeah, it's unfortunate, truly. Okay, uh, because I'm pulling a zenger right now and I literally am watching the movie. You put it on. (laughs) I put it on as a, the sounds off, but I'm watching it. And another, this, this, this is another scene in the movie that I absolutely love. I love the scene. This is another scene I absolutely adored as a child, along with the, the cupcake making scene, was when the cat starts jumping on the couch and he's like, You can't jump on this couch. And he puts on like the, oh God, like the car mechanics uniform. He puts yeah. on the cat, Caterpillar machine company hat. Yep. He puts on a cat name badge and he, he starts talking like in this like, like a simpleton drawl let's take a look under the hood and yeah. he, he 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 turns around to start he spits and he goes like pick like picks up the cushions and he has like he's wearing oh god what would you call it? Like, like a plumber's utility belt with like an artificial butt crack there <laughs> as yeah. he farts and he turns around and goes sorry and he starts pulling things out of the couch, he pulls like a giant tennis racket out. Mm-hmm. He pulls out a um, a jack, a car jack. Yep. 
And then out of nowhere, an elephant trunk comes out. Yeah, yeah. And not just like like a stuffed elephant's trunk. There is supposedly a legit elephant living under the cou- the couch cushions, and he starts smacking it. And he's <laughs> yeah, because don't we at the end of that we, we like hear it run away or or stampede off or something like that under. In in the cushion, of course. Well, that's that's not even the best part of it. Is that he climbs down into the couch. <laughs> oh, yeah. he's, he's, he continues to wrestle with it, and he's like smacking it. Let's take a look under the hood. Yeah. <laughs> my dad. Sorry. What we got here? There we go. <laughs> Oversized, that's unusual. Here it is. Down, Chippa! Down, Chippa! Get out of here! Pray me, would you? (laughs) Thanks for the help. Back in a second. I remember that when I was a kid. The bad Simba thing just blew my mind. That was like, <sighs> that was just such, again, like, oh my lord, out of left field humor. Bad Simba. And he, and at one point, he starts getting like dragged. Like the yep. elephant trunk is choking him as he's being dragged. Like at one point, <laughs> all we see is his neck up. We see his head and neck as he's being dragged downward. And then he somehow like gets his grasp, goes over, gets the giant tennis racket as the elephant can, like it starts spraying water at him as he starts beating it with the tennis racket. Like, like this is beyond co- like. Well, I say things like how I can improve something, like mm. much how like I talked about in Watchmen, how Doctor Manhattan should have like erased his manhood, not to take away from what, the, not to distract the audience yeah. by having a blue ding dong. How I thought I could improve that movie by doing this, I can't improve this movie. I cannot <laughs> think of anything more Gonzo than the Cat in the Hat with a Southern drawl. With a, with a human butt crack attacking a elephant in the couch cushions with a giant tennis racket. Like, I, Rob, as a drug user, how much drugs does one have to do to get to that level? This is, this is, I don't know if this is a, a question for the amount of drugs you do. I think it's, I think it's more of the right combination of drugs. Because... Because I think, you know, if you do if you do a hallucinogenic once, you might have some great ideas. You might have some terrible ideas and kill yourself. You have every single range in there. But I think this movie and this script and these absurd moments, this is the perfect storm of pure creativity as well as altered states. <laughs> it really – but the thing about those that, like, again, you do holiday special. Grandpa Wookiee sits in the chair, gets the little head – the, the VR set from Art Carney. Mm-hmm. And at the time, nobody knew what they were going to put on that screen. Cause it was going to be, it was going to be another yeah. Uh, yeah. segment and nobody knew it could have been anything at that point. So they don't know. Think about it. They had to devote probably at least two or three days of filming <laughs> to having the cat, the elaborate thing about it. he's wearing the giant cat costume, which weighed something like, I don't know. I think so, like some ridiculous amount of weight. 
They had to plan this. This wasn't just a bunch of people sitting in a room being like, what do we have on the Grandpa Wookiee's visor? This had to be planned. No, Days. yeah, I, I hear you. I hear you. And I think, you know, it's, it's just uh, different levels of, of creativity. And, and you know, I, I agree with what you're saying. You know, there's, there's different, um, maybe not levels of effort, but levels of development to it. And I, I think, you know, it, it really comes down to, to the people. And, and, you know, we just had a great team of people you know, with that really absurd creative vision that we're able to see it through. And yes, as Zach said earlier, a, a big part of that being able to see it through is that nobody said no. And sometimes that's what it takes to get things of this nature. You know, no, nobody says no. And, you know, I, I think that's kind of um, the the wonder chosen thing. Nobody said no to wonder chosen. And now we have that great relic of of time. <laughs> I think this is kind of the same thing that it took time. It took effort. It wasn't something that just gets done and decided on, but it's someone with a vision of absurdity that sees it to fruition. And even if it changes in that final product, because as we talked about, I think before, you know, the function of the human brain and people working in teams, it's not always what you think of originally, but this is, this is great. This is how we get that type of stuff. Someone's vision who just pushes it through as, as best as they can. And I, I commend for it. I think that's the greatest creative force are the people that do things like that. Absolutely. But I, I, that's the thing, though. It's like, cause I was reading stories about this. I have no idea if they're true or not. Again, mm-hmm. there's not, there hasn't been a lot written on this movie okay. or, or its okay. production. But apparently the director of this, Bo Welch, who had never directed a film prior to this ah. and has never directed a film since this. Yeah, I only know Bo Welch from directing um, – Three of the books of the Netflix series of unfortunate events. Uh, yeah, live yeah, adaption. I, I, yeah, yeah, I saw that. Yeah, he did. He did direct that, but like he was a product. He was like a production designer for for Tim Burton during Tim Burton's like heyday. Okay. Between things like Beetlejuice, Edward Scissorhands, oh. Batman Returns. Um, I think I think the last thing he really did was like Thor was the, last, the first Thor was the last time he really worked as a production designer. Okay, and. You look at this again. I, 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 we have to highlight the cooking scene. We yeah, have of course, to. Of course. Uh, this might whether be, it be whether it be now when we get to snacks. We have to yes, talk about. Oh it. yes, <laughs> it, it will definitely get there. But even as that like scene begins, we have like the it's like a cooking scene combined with an infomercial, and we have the cat playing three different characters. Yeah. He's playing himself in the audience with the two kids. We have him playing what I thought was Martha Stewart. Well, I always watched this, even as a kid. I always assumed he was playing Martha Stewart. Yeah, that's what I took from it. But he says he's the guy. He's the infomercial guy in the sweat. He goes, "I'm the guy in the sweater." I don't know who that is. That, but like, okay, if you remember like infomercials, there's always like some guy like in a sweater, like the one that has to be sold on. It's like, wow, Dave, what can it oh, do next? Like, so like the cat says in the movie, it's like I'm the guy that asks the obvious questions. <laughs> exactly, but okay. the hair, but the hairy, the hair makes me think it's it's Martha Stewart. Yeah, yeah. And I, I, I don't know. Like, was that is that subtext? Am I am I reading into something that wasn't there? <laughs> um, and then the cat comes out as the 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 cook slash creator of the, the cupcake machine. Mm-hmm. And, and and even as that scene begins, like we see the kids sitting in the audience with a giant, like light up board that says laugh that's facing the wrong way. Oddly yeah. enough, yeah. part of the absurd, the absurd nature of this is that the audience can't see it. And then like we get like a, um, a shot of like it's like a silhouette of the audience. So it's the cat, the two kids, and we see the guy in the sweater. And then we get a shot of somebody holding a boom mic. 
Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, think about it. You could ver- like, think about it. like with any movie, every scene needs to be planned out. Nothing really arbitrary can happen during a mm-hmm. film shoot. Mm-hmm. Yet somebody had the state of mind to say, "No, no, we need somebody in here operating. A- we need a shot of a boom mic operator." <laughs> like that's again baffling. Yet it's in there somehow. Yeah, yeah. I agree. I love it. I absolutely love it. And then as as the guy in the sweater is doing his things, he's talking about all like it's like astounding products. Anything? Anything. Anything? (laughs) It's great. But even before that point, though, we get uh, he introduces the cat and he says he's from Cheshire, England. And if you listen to Mike Myers voice, he's doing the Shrek voice. Oh, yep, yep. It's got that that uh, that accent on it. Yep. Like we'll insert the clips here of the cat doing that voice and with Mike Myers Shrek. Now, here to tell us about his astounding product for making cupcakes, all the way from Cheshire, England. Please welcome me. Hello. <laughs> now, <laughs> hello. I'm so excited. Do you love making cupcakes but hate all the hard cupcake work? I know I do. <laughs> well, forget everything you know about making cupcakes and say hello to the amazing cupcake nature. I'm so excited! <laughs> For your information, there's a lot more to ogres than people think. Example? Example? Okay, um... Ogres are like onions. They stink? Yes. No. Oh, they make you cry? No. Oh, you leave them out in the sun, they get all brown, start sprouting little white hairs. No. Layers. Onions have layers. Ogres have layers. Onions have layers. You get it. We both have layers. (sighs) It's the exact same voice. (laughs) Like, why in that scene does he need to be doing that voice? Why does the cat need to be from Cheshire, England? Mm -hmm. It's like... Again, inexplicable, but it works. Yep, yep. It all falls together perfectly. Oh my god! But yeah, the cupcake sequence. I, I, I guess we'll get into that when we talk about snacks because that's inescapable, right? Yo, yeah, the cupcakeinator. I figured it was going to be on both of our lists for what we need at the restaurant. <laughs> I, I have an insane level of things that we need to include in the Cinemati's restaurant from this. Okay. Movie. Great, great. That's awesome. I have I have two main things, so that'll be awesome when we get to that, Mr. Snackmaster. <laughs> uh, okay, so I'm trying to think what other things I want. Because this is going to be another one. Of the, this is going to be like the real scary stories episode where I'll talk for three hours. And afterwards, I'll I be know, like, God I, I could do the same it. thing. I could think of all these all these moments that I was just laughing at hysterically. You know, I could I – could, we could hit them all, but, you know, the equivalent of just we should just put the audio from the movie at a certain point. Let's <laughs> put the entire movie in, in audio form. Into the- yeah, it'll be our Jurassic World episode over all over again. We just have, it's like 60% of the movie is clips. <laughs> I think it's fair to say by, by where we are in the recording, we are actually have talked longer than the movie actually is. That's actually – yeah, that's true, yeah. <laughs> well, I guess something I wanted to bring up because it will directly influence one of my snacks later, and since we're talking about that – um, it's the scene where I think the, the kids and the, and the cat just start jumping on the couches. Mm-hmm. And while they're jumping on the couches, Alec Baldwin comes into the house, like unexpectedly. And he's like, oh my God, you're jumping on the couches. Like, I'm going to send you to military school, all that stuff. And there's a scene or in that scene, uh, what is it? Susie? Sally? Sally? Yeah, Sally. Yes. He, the cat calls him so many different names. I can't remember what their real names are. <laughs> <laughs> but Sally says something like, 
it's like, no, it's like, my mom won't believe you, blah, 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 or something like that. And Alec Baldwin looks at her, like, bends down to get on her level and goes, nobody likes a suck-up! And then he clicks his teeth a few times. Sally, baby, angel, princess, I'm gonna let you in on a little secret, okay? Nobody likes a suck-up! And then he walks into, he just walks away and you don't know where he goes. And they're like, the kids are like, where'd the cat go? Like what happened? And the cat is on the ceiling or something like that. And it's, it's two or three seconds real time. Alec Baldwin comes back into the living room, not just with a case of beer, but with a fully formed sandwich that <laughs> yep. he's eating. And that just blows me away. That's that, that's part of the absurdity and the tiny details that I love where, you know, when I sit down and I try and I would plan something out like this, I'm like, okay, it needs to be in real time. It needs to be, you know, he has to have time away to make the sandwich, all this stuff. This movie's like, no, we don't care. He's off. We get the dialogue into that we need. He's back with a sandwich and a six pack of beer. And I think he's even holding something else. Yeah, I think he's a jar of pickles or something. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And it's, it's, I love it. I love that. <laughs> well, even, it's interesting that you bring that scene up too. Cause as I, cause I want for the record that I watched this a couple days ago and my brain could not comprehend everything <laughs> that was going on. So I rewatched it again this afternoon. Nice. Because I had to, like, much like Spirit of the Way, I think everybody needs to have this on perpetual loop in their homes. Good, good. I'm glad we found something like that from, from, your perspective yes i think all those perpetual watches are from rob's perspective <laughs> yes and as i was watching that scene you mentioned where like the cat and the kids are jumping on the couch alec baldwin shows up makes some comment and then he goes to make a sandwich but then when alec baldwin comes back and we get like different like camera angles if you look there's a there's continuity breaking as to like when they're standing there like talking to out when the camera's like um, when the two kids have their back to the camera and we're and we see Alec Baldwin's like front, like they're like firmly in the living room. Yet when we get when we get another cam another shot from the cat's perspective on the ceiling, they are clearly kind of like in the foyer by the front door. Okay. So like much like how you reference with room two thirty seven and with Danny like riding his tricycle. And many other things in that yeah. film of like how there's just like there's like windows where there shouldn't be. There's a TV operating without a power cord. Mm -hmm. There's like this weird level of just like subconscious disconnect and continuity that you might not consciously realize, but your brain is picking up on the fact that nothing in this world makes even something as simple as where the characters should be from one shot to the next does not line up. Yeah, that's a good point. And, and considering how Gonzo everything else is in this film, the fact that like oh, they put a boom mic operator in there <laughs> yet they couldn't uh, you're like oh they couldn't figure out they couldn't figure out continuity no they have a shot where the cat beats up an elephant in a couch it's like you do not screw up continuity if you're able yeah. to do that exactly. it's like there's a level it's like the whole thing is like it's not by accident like you, you don't just stumble into that but going back to the point you made even with uh with the cat all the like, another thing that i do i think even rob knows and i've done it numerous times on here where i call different people different names i have nicknames for everybody that are just slightly like offshoots of their real name yeah. like rob said 
Uh, the cat never calls Sally by any other name but Sally. But for Conrad, like, there's a scene in this where after the cat chops his tail off and the lawyers are there, he's going through the entire. Like, he's like he's like talking like, oh, we could sue, but uh, Ixnay, oh, yeah. Ixnay. And yeah. He's like, and, the, and Con Conrad asks like, oh, why is the oven making that noise? And the cat goes, of course that means they're almost done, Conrad. And Conrad's like. I'm Conrad. That's why I said Condor. Cat. Now that's my name. Yeah. It's, it's like this movie has permeated the culture in a way that we're not even aware of. I agree. I absolutely agree. You know, as we're talking about it, I'm thinking of things that I found I find insanely funny from a variety of different media that really is similar humor to this. You know, the thing that comes to mind right now is um, way back when, when we discussed Perfect Hair Forever. I said that I love the line where one character says something to another and the character turns his head and goes, say it into my favorite ear. <laughs> That's something the cat in the hat would say, where one of the girls, like the Sally, would say something like, we're not supposed to go in the living room. And the cat would turn around and have like a big, you know, like sousaphone next to his ear or whatever and go, say it into my favorite ear. Say it into my favorite ear. And so, yeah, you're absolutely right, Zach. This is this is formative, not just in our humor, but in humor as a whole, it really is. And like, I, again, I don't think there is a, uh, oh Lord, like I, we keep calling this surrealism with absurdism yet. I, again, I, I don't know. Cause it, yeah, it's like, when you think of sur surrealism is so jarring to mass audiences. Yes. Yet this was commercial. Like this did make, a, like, I know this movie didn't make a lot of money like compared to its budget, but it did make over a hundred million dollars in 2003. Yeah. Maybe this is the, the, an example of maybe not now or any longer, but back then, uh, what was, maybe the closest thing we ever had to palatable surrealism. Like, you know, I'm thinking of, of Salvador Dali. Everybody thinks of Salvador Dali as like the, the preeminent surrealist painter. And it's no, he's just the most popular. He's not the best or anything like that. He's just the one that everybody knows because he got famous. And so there is that level of surrealism that is accessible to people, but it, it's never going to strike that chord with everybody. So maybe this is kind of the, this is the Salvador Dali of the film world. <laughs> It's because uh, I'm looking because Cat in the Hat was the 28th highest grossing film of 2003. Okay. And yet you look at like movies that came out that year, like Lord of the Rings. Lord of, I, was, the I was literally just about to say, is that, was there a Lord of the Rings that year? <laughs> yeah. And like number two is Finding Nemo. Okay. Number three is Pirates of the Caribbean, the first one. Mm -hmm. Four is The Matrix Reloaded. Five is Bruce Almighty. Oh, wow. Six is X-Men 2. Seven is Elf. Bruce Eight. Almighty beat X Men Two. Yeah, and Elf. What a what a better time for superhero movies. <laughs> <laughs> the number eight was Terminator Three. Number nine, The Matrix Revolutions, and number ten was Cheaper by the Dozen. And like you look at these okay. movies, and it's like I I don't know. Like yes, Finding Nemo is still around because Disney, but. I would say there's more humor, there's more cat in the hat esque humor today than there is Bruce Almighty humor. Yeah. We didn't see it back then. We we see it more now though. So yeah, that foundational aspect is probably hitting the nail on the head. Yeah, because even something like Elf, like Elf had its run with like Parks and Rec and 30 Rock. Yep. 
and like that. It, it's it's Essen. It's a Saturday. Oh God! It's NBC sitcom humor. That's what Elf is. Mm-hmm. It's just a it's a man child screaming. That that's that's NBC sitcom humor of the late two thousands. Yeah, yeah. Whether it be Chris Pratt or Steve Carell or, or Alec Baldwin in Thirty or, Rock or Alec Baldwin. <laughs> yeah, full circle. Uh, yeah, and yeah, I think we see more of the Cat in the Hat humor today than we do of those. I agree. I agree wholeheartedly, and I'm. I'm happy for that. I love that type of humor more than anything else we got back in 2003, humor-wise at least. Well, even like again, like even when we're introduced to the things, and like the cat's going. I'm not sure which came first. The few, I know when he makes a joke about thing one, thing two, and he's like, "Thing two says you can you can call him thing two, oh, yeah, sorry, thing two, thing A, thing King, King King Dynamite, or or my favorite, Chocolate Thunder, Chocolate Thunder." <laughs> and the best part of that is that again, brilliance is that it's not Chocolate Thunder; it's Chocolate quote T H U N. Dash D A yep. end quote thunder, <laughs> and then later in the movie, what when they're like what is it during the Heimlich maneuver or when they're fixing the house? I think it's when they're fixing the house. Yeah, they say something like "good job." The subtitles say "good job, chocolate thunder" or something like that. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> again, brilliance. Just thinking of that, like I wish I could think of that in the context of this movie. Never mind <laughs> spelling it out that way. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Oh. I'm trying to think. Well, well, there's a couple other things. I, I guess I should say about the scene with the things, specifically the first scene where they're introduced just after, you know, the naming stuff with the... Um, thing 2 is not is inferior to Thing 1 in any way. In fact, you can call him blah, blah, blah. But when, when they, like, start to mess the house up, like, they, mm-hmm. you know... They they beat the what they beat the or they they spin the dress and the paint goes onto the couch and they beat the couch and the paint goes onto the walls. Just the whole scene of them running around and then the kids with the big nets trying to capture the things. That's one of the most visually stimulating scenes, I think, ever. Like there's something yeah. about that. It's so fast paced. It's so enthralling to watch. It's great. I love that scene just for the look of it and whatever they did to the things where, you know, they're sped up to some extent with the rest of what's going on. It's awesome. It's so cool to watch. Yeah, I guess we should bring up like the visual effects of this movie because part of the same BuzzFeed listicles and Watch Mojo videos, they also crap on the visual effects of this movie. Oh man, I'm, I don't know how. Like, I think I don't think there's a visual. Like, there's maybe one or two that, if you really looked that hard, you could kind of see some of it. But mm. like, I don't see a single visual effect in this movie that would not be able, that would not hold up under today's scrutiny. I I agree. You know, this is kind of the complete opposite. Where I thought Gods of Egypt looked goofy, and you loved it. I'm right on board with you with this one, Zach. This movie is a spectacle. It's beautiful, and I think I mentioned it earlier on. It captures the aesthetic of Dr. Seuss artwork so well. And I think that's why I like it. Because it just, if you know Dr. Seuss, you know his artwork as soon as you sit down and start this movie, before you know about how crazy and meta and and absurd it is, you feel like you're in that universe because of the visuals. But I, I, I agree with that a little bit though, but I actually will give it more credit because I think it's actually more of a perfect marrying of Seuss visuals with realism. Because okay. If, if you go too far, Sue's, you get the 2000 film with Jim Carrey, and it's just it's ugly. It's just an ugly world that you never want to go to. 
Okay. Like, there's a reason why Universal Studios never made a Grinchland. Is because it's just <laughs> ugly to look. Like, for, I mean, from that film, not not overall. Yes. Yeah, yes. Yeah. Because that is an ugly, ugly world. And yes, I know that, that you can you can visit that place on the backlot tour, but. You look at this, and this is the, the cat in the hat is more of a marrying of real world with the Seuss world. Yeah. Because, you, like, the houses, like, there's only a couple of trees that look weird. The cars are regular cars. Mm-hmm. Like, yes, the color palette is more Seuss, Seussical, but it's much more like the, the engineering of the world and the, the aesthetic of it is a more of a merriment. Yeah, or, or sure. rec- reconciling. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. And I and you're right. You know, that's a great way to put it because that's exactly what it needs. You know, you're so right. It shouldn't be just full on Seuss because then you're just back in this this 2D world of you know artistic rendition. It needs that that kind of blending into something real that we can latch onto as a platform for the story and all of the other humor and absurdity that we get. Yeah, like, like that's my thing. If you want to copy something, go to a Xerox machine. It's like, <laughs> like that's, if, if, if you're going to make a movie based on something else, if you want to make a copy of it, just go, go to a Xerox machine. Nothing's going to do it better than that. And so that's, again, again, that's why I want to add this. But to highlight something very specific about this film is that uh, later when they go to the, uh, the subterranean rave, mm. which, which is genuinely inexplicable when you think about it. Like there's, there's no context to it. Yeah, it's it's just yeah. happening below the streets of of Anvil. But as the, earlier in the thing, when Rob was talking about how the things are kind of just like hot, tr- the two kids are trying to catch the things, and the cat is sitting on the couch reading the newspaper, and Miss Kwan gets thrown. And as soon as she, it's like it's like a split second shot. He has the newspaper open, and as soon as she lands, he folds the paper. But I was able to do a freeze frame of that. Okay. And I want Rob to know what is printed on the front page of the oh, newspaper. Oh, God. Is it about the rave? No, first, because if you notice, when they go into the rave, like, like what would you call that? Like, the, uh, what, what would you even call that, like, structure that they walk into? I would, I've always thought of that as, like, an informational kiosk where there'd be, like, an ads, ad advertisements, or, like, a map or somewhere you could pick up maps and stuff. Like, you ever see those? Like, I'm thinking of, like, downtown Denver or Pittsburgh. Like, they have those all over the place. Oh, do they? Okay. Because as they as they walk into that, mm-hmm. we see there's, like, a graphic on the side of it that has, like, a picture of a squirrel. Okay. Yeah, I guess that's what I was thinking of, an advertisement. I didn't know what was on that, but, but that it would be some type of, you know, like, full image ad is what I'm imagining. But it, yes, but if you look at it, like, because you get, because when they're running throughout the town square, you get a couple of different shots, because obviously it's it's a square, these, these informational things are squares, so they have four yes. different, like, posters on them. Like, as you see them running around, like, one of them says zoo, another one says kiosk, another one says, like, read a good book today, and okay. then one says, like, please drive safely. And they're all kind of like what you'd expect to see, like, in a Dr. Seuss world. Like, it's one of the more conventional things. Mm-hmm. Yet... If you look, there's a picture of a squirrel, and it says "squirrel problem." Okay. Which again has no. You look at that, and it's just again, it makes no sense. But if you go back to the freeze frame of the yeah. newspaper, it says "red spotted pygmy squirrels thrive in Anvil's countryside." <laughs> so this is another layer of the world that's. that's that's great. <laughs> That's never addressed in the film, but apparently someone making this movie wanted to have it that Anvil has a squirrel problem. 
Oh my god. Yeah, I'm just thinking about when we did our Adventure Time finale episode and all the Easter eggs I talked about. We could make a second episode about Cat in the Hat, just all the Easter eggs nice. and slight tie-ins that are in there. <laughs> but but again, if you look at the newspaper, there's some other things. Like it's called the Anvil Gazette. After the main headline about red pygmy, uh, red spotted pygmy squirrels, not even regular squirrels, mm-hmm. red spotted pygmy squirrels. <laughs> to the right of that story, it says City OK's 72 hour ravers party thon. Oh, so they actually they actually set it up. It's Damn. set up. It's not. It's just. In a split second, like shot of a newspaper that the cat is reading, it sets up the Ravers party thon. That is so awesome. I love it. This movie's a masterpiece. We all deserve this movie. We it really, know. yeah, yeah. I, I, you know, this is like I think, like I said before, I love humor. Maybe not even humor, just anything where I can watch it again and gain something new from it that I didn't get the first time or the previous time. And just everything that we're talking about is that this movie fits the bill perfectly. It really does. Because even like the, when Paris Hilton shows up, because at this time she was, uh, uh, oh God, a super celebrity at this point. And a lot of people point to that too, like how like a lot of the jokes being outdated. Mm-hmm. And I look at that, I'm like, that's perfect. It's, it's, it's kind of like, imagine like looking at a painting and being like, this is garbage because this is clearly painted during the 16th century. Like who... Who looks at a, a, a work of art yeah, and then yeah. and it takes, uh, oh God, a hallmark of the era it was made in and considers that a detriment? Yeah, that's a good point. Imagine yeah, that's, you, a, that's a false false way to uh, analyze things. Yep. Yeah, just because something has a, uh, uh, oh God, like, a, like I don't want to say dated, but it has a, a hallmark of a specific time. How When did that become a detriment? Yeah, exactly. You're right. You're right. And that's what this, and that's what really disgusts me with like not just film criticism, but of criticism of any sort. That just ha- something being tied to a specific era makes gives it uh, a negative. Mm-hmm. People are awful. indeed, indeed, they are. Uh, oh yeah, we. I think it's been a while since we've said that, but but I think you know we always talk about to truly disenfranchise the audience and the listeners of this. Everybody's stupid. <laughs> it really is. <laughs> you out there, you're stupid too. Don't think you're exempt. <laughs> Except for the listeners of this podcast. Except for them. You have, you're you actually a little smarter. You have one more merit badge than everybody else. Exactly. You get one more brownie point than the rest of the filthy casuals. <laughs> it's worth noting that next month's uh, series is going to be a lot of complaining about how stupid yeah. people are. Yeah, it's going to be a reflection <laughs> on the human condition. <laughs> Oh God! But uh, no, the last thing I want to bring about this movie before we bring it to an end okay. is the part where the house has become like the the fun house. I don't even know what's called the mother of all messes. I think yes. that's how the cat describes it. Yeah. And as they use Miss Kwan as a uh, uh, a flume, uh, a flume log, pretty they much. Ride, yeah, they ride her like a flume. <laughs> and as I was watching this, preparing for the cinematis discussion about. Um, like what snacks we're going to eat? How? What could we? What could we take from this film to enhance the Cinematis restaurant? Okay. And as I was watching it, and again, there are again the cupcake anator being the the easiest, the lowest of hanging yeah. fruit. Yeah. Like in all honesty, if there ever was a movie food tie-in item that would be perfect for the Cinematis <laughs> restaurant, we found it. It's almost as good as the word processor of the gods. And <laughs> but as I was watching it, um, they're they're riding Mrs. Quine, and they go into like. 
one of the rooms, and the cat's like, like they're like they're pointing around the room, and it comes to like a slow moment. And I think Conrad or Sally goes, "Is this the dining room?" And the cat goes, "Hey, look, a chandelier!" And and they're going through the corners, and we see a toilet bowl on a perch, and it's erupting flames. Yep. Yep. That might just that's the sort of brilliance. And I think what makes it even funnier, or even just the visuals of a flame erupting toilet in this surreal world is that Conrad goes, Is that a bathroom? And the cat turns around and says, You might not you might want to hold it for a while. Yeah, yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> like I like the idea that there is a flame erupting toilet. Yeah, that's the first thing that comes to the character's mind. Yeah. Oh, that's great. <laughs> oh my god. And that's and I want that. It's like you know you go to restaurants, they have like a um like they have like a fountain. A caviar fountain? No, no, not a caviar, a conventional fountain. Oh, okay, okay. Not a and, glory. No, not 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 a glory hall. Okay, okay. But like how you have like a fountain, like a, like a calming fountain, like a zen fountain. Yeah. Instead of that, uh, for the cinematic restaurant, I want the same. I want the prop. I don't want a recreation. I want the prop from the cat in the hat of the flame <laughs> on like a ten foot high purge of the flame erupting toilet. So so I'm thinking I'm thinking of like you know you walk into an Asian restaurant, not like a hole in the wall takeout place. Like I'm talking a full on Asian restaurant. You walk through the doors. Five star. Yeah, exactly. Not none of that PF Chang's bullshit, like a real Asian restaurant. You walk into that front door and you see, as soon as you get in there, there's a little booth with the hostess or the host ready to seat you. And next to them is that bamboo Zen, like koi pond type of fountain. We take that same setup but we replace it with a toilet bowl shooting flames out of it. That's what you're saying. Yes, exactly. I love it. I absolutely love it. <laughs> because not only does that instill so many emotions, it instills the emotion of of the after. You know, I, I think, I don't know, because Zach and I are just, you know, flying by the seat of our pants, for lack of a better term. We aren't restaurateurs in any sense. This is our first restaurant we've ever owned. And we you know we haven't, tried to, you know, get entrenched in the market or anything. I would imagine that most restaurants don't want to draw attention to the fact of what you have to do after you eat in general. Like no restaurant is going to bring attention to the bathroom aspect of digestion. And we're just doing it right out of the gate with fire. Yes. I love it. I love it, Zach. <laughs> it's perfect. Uh, there's one last thing I want to bring up about the film before we get into our cinema <laughs> isn't, isn't that how, isn't that how we started the last point <laughs> <laughs> i'm pretty sure every point has been every point was wait wait one more thing <laughs> one more thing is that we all know rob's disdain for commercials yes what did you think during the part when they're riding mrs kwan and conrad's like this is just like an amusement park ride oh. and the film literally stops and the cat pulls out two universal studios hollywood pamphlets and makes the comment you mean like at universal studios and the film freeze frames oh like, yeah the, the flume stops and it just focuses on the cat absolutely well the whole frame stops conrad stops yeah, moving. the entire yeah. frame stops he looks at he says that he winks at the camera and there's and he goes cha-ching as the ride continues <laughs> yes, yeah this is amazing it's on the ride in an amusement park you mean like at 
Universal Studios. <laughs> I had no issue with this. To me, this is the right way to put a commercial in your media. I, I think that this is this is if if I ever create a list of of you know exemplars of how you should use commercials, this would be on there. The ham commercial would be on there, and and machismo from Freaked would be on there. So yeah, this I had no problem with it. That's great. I love <laughs> that kind of aspect of of comedic. <laughs> I think oh, Zach's having an asthma attack. Go get your inhaler no, or, or no, smoke another cigarette. No, whatever you have to do. <laughs> no, what's happening is that the scene continued to play after that, and we're oh. at the we're at the scene where Joan, <laughs> the thing is still providing the Heimlich maneuver on the other thing with Joan, <laughs> and I didn't even pick up on this. And we have the scene. Where Joan says, like Rob said, I, I had this is ridiculous. I have to get home, yeah. and yeah. I didn't even hear this. I have the captioning on. I, 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 that's why I started laughing. The one thing that's choking is saying to the one that's providing them Heimlich maneuver, police brutality, illegal <laughs> chokehold. <laughs> oh my god! I have to watch this with subtitles now. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my god. This 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 is a genuine this movie is a genuine masterpiece. I I, I there's so much to this that I don't even think we've uncovered. I agree. I agree. How do we contact Bo Welch? We need to talk to Bo Welch and give him the acclaim that he he is. You might feel like Bo Welch is like the Vietnam War veterans that came back from the war and were spat on. He deserves <laughs> his 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 due. He gave this world a masterpiece, and he deserves every accolade that he's been denied for the last fifteen years. I agree. I agree. With that being said, Zach, why don't we start by giving him some of the only accolades that matter because i don't think it's a spoiler i don't think it's going to go with any shock that both of us are going to say this is well deserving of a spot maybe not just in the pantheon but near the the front runners of the cinemodities status right oh 100 oh, 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 yeah, oh, oh, oh it's it's like zach said i think at the start it fits the bill to a t I, and I said it, I think, as well, you know, this is everything I think a cinemodity should be. So, yeah, uh, I'm glad we're in agreement there. <laughs> Late night movie, I don't know what Zach's going to say, but even though I said it might turn some people off, I think back at the start of this conversation, I said that, you know, you could you could lose some, we both said we could lose an audience because of uh, people who think it's, oh, Cat in the Hat, kids movie, blah, blah, blah. But remember... The way that I like to use late night movies is when I have somebody in my clutches. And that's how I always like to start it is you have the choice. That's how we're framing this late night movie list. You are in sole control of what you watch and you better believe I'm going to force this on somebody pretty soon. Like somebody I need to show this to somebody after this discussion. So late night and cinemonity get get Bold, capitalized, underlined yeses for me. <laughs> oh, a- absolutely. This nice. this is the definition of a clean sweep. This is this is a Titanic. It's a Ben Hur. Is clean sweeping every category. <laughs> uh, it's one in everything. The only thing I have to say is is much like how I talked about with like trapped in the closet. Okay. I don't get how this isn't a cult classic. I don't get mm-hmm. how this isn't one of these. 
one of these films that we look back upon and be like, oh my God, it's so bad, it's good. Like, I, I don't get how this has not attained that level, a level of that. Because this came out the same year The Room did. Okay, okay. And, and I it's, think it, it's Mike Myers, too. And he has cultural significance, you know? Yeah. Oh, and like, yeah. I don't get how how this has been i think about i would i think it'd be fair to say that more people at this time have probably seen the room than have or at least are aware of the room for what it is than they have probably have seen this movie or even aware of it that's a good point that's a good point and it's a it's a tragedy (laughs) it really is like how i said in the beginning of this 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 is a is a as i rewatch this or as i was thinking about it before i rewatched it the second time it is a tragedy because in preparation for this episode like i said i was i was i tried to find some videos and there is one really good youtube video i'll link to it in the show notes where this guy does like a 16 minute long like dissertation about this and he's in the same camp as rob and i yeah I, I wanted to listen to a podcast because I wanted to get a feel for what other people were saying about this. And like I said, there are only two other podcast episodes that I could find. There might be more. Who knows? But one of them is only like, like I don't know, like, like 40 minutes long. I figured there's no, there's no way they're going to be able to discuss this in any sort of meaningful way in 40 minutes. Yeah, did they even watch it? <laughs> yeah. But I found another one, another podcast that had an episode that was like two hours long. And I'm listening to their episode. And like they began the episode. And they're like, I remember when this had like trailers. And it looked like garbage. And I rewatched it. And it was garbage. Oh, and I'm like, God. nope, nope. Nope. They're like, I, like another one of the people was like, I, I tried rewatching this and usually I'm much more kind to, because I think the name of the podcast was something like bad movie, something like that. Okay. So, so very similar to what Rob and I are trying to do. And like, they're in like, the female host was like, I'm usually friendly to these kind of movies, but this was just, a, this was just horrible. And I'm like, no, I'm like, no, I'm like, you are, <laughs> everybody's entitled to an opinion, but yours is wrong. <laughs> yeah. I hear you. Like you, even if you might not like this movie, you can cannot deny that it's a it's it's a surreal masterpiece yeah i agree i agree yeah you know because we mentioned the beatles before it's like those people i've run into they're very few and far between but i certainly run into them where they're just like the beatles suck the beatles are terrible and it's like no you're saying you don't like the beatles and they're like no no the beatles are just bad musicians and it's like you're just ignorant you can't say that you know (laughs) The, the way that certain things shape our culture are undeniable. And yes, the Beatles versus Mike Myers, Cat in the Hat are two very different extremes, I would say. But there are people out there like it. And it's always a bummer to encounter them where they can't separate the state of being with their own opinion. Exactly. Like I've said before, just because you like something doesn't mean it's good. And just because something's good doesn't mean you have to like it. Exactly. Yeah, like I, I think with me and I think maybe Zach... Zach and I both with Lord of the Rings. I I am I totally respect that the Lord of Rings is a sweeping grand story. But as far as I'm concerned, it's a hot flaming pile of shit. <laughs> <laughs> but I understand it's a it's it's something that was never done when it was published by Tolkien and and you know and it's it's influenced us immensely. But I will always hate it for all the reasons I think I've discussed in this last year of cinemodities. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, God. I tried watching one of those movies. I just lost my mind after like an hour. Oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah. Let's not let's not do that. No, no. <laughs> so, Rob, what snack do you. OK, I think we both agree on the Cupcakeinator, right? Yes. So so definitely the actual whole machine, the Cupcakeinator. Um, I want to know what your thoughts were, but mine were specifically in terms of its use for the restaurant is that this is where our scraps would go. 
if there because because of course as we know Zach you can make cupcakes out of anything <laughs> anything 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 so i'm thinking you know when someone comes to the cinemodities restaurant and they order a meal uh, they get the meal and you know a few things happen they refuse to eat it in which case we have some waste uh, some some you know, quantifiable loss, I guess, in terms of the restaurant business. They eat some of it and and they can't finish it because of, you know, whatever reason, injury, death, anything like that. We have quantifiable loss. Um, Or they eat it, they like it, but they don't finish it all. And there's some scraps left over on the plate. I say we just collect all our scraps and instead of having our waiters run to a dump, which I think we've previously talked about, that we don't have garbage service on site, we have to have all our waiters, like, run to a car wash to wash dishes and and run to a dump to throw stuff out. We take all the trash and we make cupcakes out of them. And that's our dessert is the, is the cupcakes, the cinemodities cupcakes that are just made out of anything and everything that we have left over. That would be perishable loss. Otherwise that's if we can sell the cupcakes, that is a huge boost to our margins. Zach, it's great in terms of the money we're making. I should say hemorrhaging at the Cinemodities restaurant. <laughs> yeah, and you know, like I said, uh, the Cupcakeinator is uh, it was designed for Cinemodities. Yes, absolutely. Okay. Or for the Cinemodities restaurant. Yeah. Did you or did you have anything in mind for how to use the Cupcakeinator, or was that kind of your thoughts, or or anything different? Well, my concern, not my concern, my question about the Cupcakeinator is that as the scene occurs. And he puts uh, the hot, the pack of hot dogs, the fire extinguisher, <laughs> a carton of eggs. Yeah. Is there anything else he puts in there? I think yeah. I think there's one more thing, but I don't. I don't remember what it is. Okay. Is and meat? He, is he, meat? Maybe who knows? He, he puts oh, the hot, hot dog. dog. Hot, yeah, the hot, hot, hot dogs. dogs. Okay, yeah. Um, I don't know. It might be that. It's maybe one other thing, but whatever. And so when it explodes out of the oven, he tastes it and he goes, "Yuck." <laughs> but then you talk about the end of the movie. At the end of the movie, the mother is walking around with a cup of the tray of, of cupcakes and says, "Honey, your cupcakes are a huge hit." Yeah, which makes me wonder: Did Sally like, at that point, like the mother walks in the door, so she didn't have time to make any more cupcakes? Mm-hmm. Are those the same cupcakes? And this is my question: Is the cat's palate different than our human palate? That's exactly what I was going to say. Something, you know, along the lines of the the hints or whatever that we get in this movie that the cat is from a different dimension. Uh, yeah, I, I could totally see that where, you know, things that are, are good to humans are bad to the cat and vice versa. Or at least, as Zach said, you know, there's that different palette. So I, I think that is certainly the case. I, I have always taken it that the cupcakes at the end, because of their color and all that stuff, are the same as the cupcakes from the cat in the hat earlier. That's what I thought. And that's another thing. In the deleted scenes for this. Okay. Because another question we have, too, is that it's cupcakes, but the cat, the cupcakeinator doesn't show you what kind of frosting you put on them. And the yeah. cupcakes at the end have purple frosting. Yeah. And we have to figure that out. What kind of frosting do we put on cupcakeinator cupcakes? Mmm. Mmm. Okay. Okay. We have to work on that. But before, while Rob thinks about that, I want to bring up another point. In the deleted scenes, because as in the what do you want to call it? Theatrical cut. The mother says your cupcakes are a huge hit. Yeah. But in the deleted scenes, there's a shot 
where all the kids at the birthday party, the ones that like were like Sally was, she says like, I was, here are all my yeah. friends and I wasn't invited. There's a shot of the deleted scenes where they're all at the party and she gives them a plate of the cupcakes and she's smart. They're like, what kind of cupcakes are these? And she says, Oh, you'll find out if she smirks to the camera and walks away. So oh. that's my issue, though, is that the the adults like the cupcakes, but she's intention, and, and they are the same cupcakes the mother's carrying around with the tray. Okay. So this deleted scene makes me wonder: Are the are there did did she make different cupcakes? Are they the same cupcakes as from before, but she made new ones? I don't know. We need to mm. contact. Bo Welch or whoever wrote the script And we need to find oh out what God. what What kind of ingredients were what like Much like the Kennedy assassination Was there a second batch Of cupcakes made <laughs> Was there a second batter <laughs> The cupcakes on the grassy knoll <laughs> <laughs> I'm just imagining I, I find it so So intriguing and comical To if we like tweeted Bo Welch like multiple tweets, like you know that thing where the people they put the number in parentheses, like <laughs> one at one at a nine or something like that, and it's just an entire description of the question you just posed about the cupcakes. Like I just imagine Bo Welch waking up, reading these tweets because for this we'll just assume Bo Welch does his own Twitter. And just like, you know, I don't know, eight in the morning or something, he reads this and just starts shaking his head. And he's like, what has become of my career? (laughs) (laughs) We need to know. We need answers. Yeah, because I don't I don't think we can we can like solidify this as a part of our restaurant, an item, a menu item until we know for sure. Exactly. Because we don't know at this point there might be broken shards of glass and and, uh, oh, my Lord, um. Oh god, what's it called? This uh, oh my lord, fire extinguisher. There might be <laughs> that is. I'm pretty sure there's carcin- carcinogens in there. Oh yeah. Um, there might be a cancer warning when you leave the cinema of these restaurant. <laughs> so we have we have cupcakes that can give you cancer in I would say medium range amount of time, right? You know, maybe yeah. maybe you eat a, eat a cupcake with a fire extinguisher in it. You're looking at mid range, you know, response time to get cancer. We have. From Watchmen, the cancer gas in the vents, which is going to yes. give you cancer in short term. That's like the quick cancer. And if you remember, Zach, your pitch way back from Claws was the wrapper of food <laughs> that you can eat that will give you cancer in the long term. This this should go on our business card for the restaurant that you can choose how quickly you want to get cancer when you come to our restaurant. That's part of the fun of the Cinemati's restaurant. It'll help put you out of your misery. It's all up to you. It's all up to the customer as well. <laughs> all right. I'm watching this. He puts a carton of eggs. Okay. A pack of hot dogs. Okay. Oh, a bottle of ketchup. Bottle, bottle of ketchup. Bottle of ketchup. And a fire extinguisher. Okay. The bottle of ketchup was the one we were forgetting. Gotcha. Yes. But he doesn't mention if what kind of hot dogs they are. They could be all beef. They could be turkey. We mm. don't know. Mm. Okay. Yeah, we gotta we gotta tweet Bo Welch. We gotta figure out. We gotta figure it out. We gotta know. We need to know. Rob, how do we get the schematics for the cupcake and Ader? <sighs> Bo Welch. <laughs> <laughs> I like to imagine like in the next week you'll be reading the, like the local news and it's like two 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 men and two white guys in their mid twenties break into <laughs> has been director's house in order to <laughs> steal props from the Cat in the Hat movie. I'm just thinking, you know, we we have like uh, we post somewhere. It's like, oh look, Bo Welch blocked us on Twitter. You know, we post that picture. 
where it's like this user has blocked you or something. And then, you know, a few weeks later, it's like, look, Bo Welch has a restraining order against <laughs> us now. And we show, like, the document that says how many feet we have to be away. And then it's like, look, Bo Welch is taking us to court again. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. And then imagine it's like a Judge Judy style thing. And it's like, you're suing him for what? The schematics to the cupcake-inator. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder, for, like, who would you... I, I would imagine somebody has to have designs for that. Like, Universal must have those on records. Oh, like, yeah, have those in their molds or, or something, or maybe not molds are the right term, but yeah, you're exactly right. Uh, you would know better how to uncover those than I would. But yeah, I, I would agree. They have to exist, or maybe not. If they don't exist now, they had to exist at one point. Yeah. Oh, my God. Okay. Hopefully, hopefully it's not lost to the... No. Uh, the realm of media. <laughs> so the only other snack that I wanted to pitch, because I mentioned it earlier, because it was going to be part of the snack, uh, Alec Baldwin's sandwich and beer. That's the meal. But here's here's the gimmick. Let's say you're at a table. You come into the Cinematis restaurant with, with six. You got a party of six. And we sit you down at a booth or something. And in this party of six, you know, Someone's like, oh, I just, I just want the caviar glory hole. Someone says, um, I want the, the acrylic paint and eggs from Tangerine Reef or Odd Sack or whatever it was. Um, and, you know, they, they go through an order. But one of the people orders Alec Baldwin's sandwich and beer. After the waiter takes the order, writes it down, or does whatever they have to do in their giant Robert Zack costume or Jodorowsky costume, they go back to the kitchen or they go back to where they would have to like drop the ticket off to place the order. And instantly the waiter is back with the sandwich and the beer just for that person, not with all the food for the table, but it's just this meal that you always get in like three seconds or less. That's my okay. pitch. Okay. Cause I'm looking, he's eating a sandwich. Okay. He has the Miller light, the case yeah. of Miller light. And he's also carrying a bag of bread. It says sliced bread, so he's not just eating a sandwich. He's taking their bread, and chances the same, are, it's the same bread that Spencer Breslin used as a cup from earlier in the movie. I think it's the same bread because you look at it. It's I'm looking at it right now. And it looks smushed. Oh yeah. <laughs> so we so if we are going to offer this item at the Cinematis restaurant, we need Spencer Breslin on call at any time. To st every time we need we go through a, a fresh loaf, he has to then provide to put it down his pants and then pull it back out. <laughs> Okay, I'm on board, 100%. <laughs> I guess that was my other snack item, was the, the Spencer Breslin bread for the table. Like, Spencer Breslin, much like our waiters, he comes out kind of like a, a busboy, and he brings bread to your table, but it's been in his pants beforehand. Does he serve it out of, like, out of his crotch, like the... Like you have to reach in and grab a slice or something? No, he actually, no, he comes to your table with it in his pants, and he pulls it out and puts it on the table. Okay, okay. <laughs> that is way funnier. That is way funnier than him serving it. Just, just I'm imagining the look on people's faces. Like, this is prank show status stuff, where it's like they have hidden cameras, and someone whips out a loaf of bread from their crotch and just slams it on the table and goes like, there's your appetizer. <laughs> That's awesome. Oh, yeah, that, that was my other snack item. Yep. Oh, I love it. I love it. Okay. All right. Well, then, we, are we wrapping it up? Cat in the hat? Well, one more thing I have to ask. Yes. Yeah, what do you got? What do you got? This is also one of my favorite parts of the film growing up. When the cat is is uh playing pinata and beans hits him in the groin 
Mm-hmm. And when he gets hit in the groin, he starts screaming. And we cut to the cat like in a Sunday, oh God, on the, oh, like in a, in a sundress yeah. with the bonnet on the swing. To I'm easy like <laughs> Sunday morning. And we see a you like, like the shot is like overly bleached because the sun is like there's like lens flares and there's a unicorn like eating grass in the background. Yep. And the scene oh, that shot only lasts about a couple of seconds yeah. as we cut back to the cat screaming again in agony. Is there any explanation for that? I I have maybe not always, but the last time I watched this, I took that to be the movie's um I guess visualization or rendition of a dopamine rush. Like you know, if you ever experience like an insane amount of intense pain really quickly, your brain will try and compensate and make it so it, it distracts itself like with adrenaline, with dopamine, with serotonin, whatever the chemicals are. That's how I kind of pictured it where like the cat gets hit in the nuts and it hurts him so bad that there's like three to five seconds of bliss before okay. the rest of the pain sets in. That's okay. how I interpret it. And I love that interpretation as well. <laughs> because how I kind of interpreted it, it was like, you remember from the, remember, oh God, this was from like the soup. Remember Spaghetti Cat? Yeah, yeah. Where like something like they, like, they, they play, well, it's not from the soup itself, but like there was like this TV show it was like, a, oh my lord, like, like kind of like an off-brand The View, and okay. they're like talking, and somebody did something. It just cut to a picture of a, a like a cat puppet, yeah, sitting there in front of a plate of spaghetti, and it cuts back. And I remember Joel McHale's explanation is there's no explanation for this. It's just simply art, and that's kind <laughs> of the right, that's how I've always rationalized this scene. That it's just a scene in there. It's just okay. it's art. There's no there's no reasoning for it. It's just somebody's vision sure sure i like that explanation too i think that's that just you know is kind of the first step to being able to interpret it like i did or any any other ways that someone might have that it is it's just you know we're never really going to know right we have to that'll be in part of you know the the 16 million tweets we send bo welch in the in the coming day uh you know what's what's the what's the thought process behind that scene absolutely I guess for another snack, I should also bring up that should, we should have a cat in the hat pinata. Ah, yeah. That screams when you hit it. <laughs> in the, if you hit the pinata in the groin, it screams, and then we start playing over the sound system, easy like Sunday morning. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I like it. <laughs> that's, an, that's an activity for the kids at the cinema. At these yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Are pinatas still in vogue? Like, where do you even go to get a pinata nowadays? Fuck. Or is it? Party that city if they still exist. <laughs> or is that culturally insensitive to have a pinata? It, it, it's probably culturally culturally insensitive. Um, yeah, I haven't seen one in a long time. Not that I'm seeking them out, but yeah, I should I should pick one up for my next party. See if I can get one. Because I know they've kind of ruined pinatas now. Because you're not allowed to use like they they make them now. So like you can't hit them with bats. They have like strings. And like, there's like one string that's kind of like the loose thread, and whoever pulls that string is the one. I, I, was it some kitty birthday f- party? What? That's no fun. I know it's not fun, but <laughs> but I know I was at some kitty birthday party a couple of years ago, and they had like, oh, here's time for the pinata, and I'm like, where are the bats? And like, there's no bats. There's like pieces of like ribbon, and each kid like gets one, and they all pull at the same time, and one just lets go. They turned it into the reverse pin the tail on the donkey, but stupider. <laughs> Or your pulling string instead of like pinning. Oh God, that's this hurts me, Zach. Why are you telling me this? <laughs> I know this culture is just getting worse and worse by the day. 
fuck? <laughs> no sense to me. Like, like how? What is the design of these things? If you pull every string except the loose one, will it stay together? I know. I think what it is is that, like, because the kids are all supposed to pull together at the same time. So, like, it's kind of like this thing where. Oh, I so it, it so it just makes it quicker. And what the? It's just like this is like the participation trophy of pinatas. Everybody gets a chance, you know. That's what it is. Because it used to be that like each kid would take a sh- not to explain the uh, the, the fundamentals no, of pinatas. We're, we're doing we're anthrop- anthropology status studying pinatas right now. That's where this episode's going. Everybody, buckle in. <laughs> Buck, buckle in in the two hour plus episode of the cat in the hat. Um, yeah, I guess it's the whole idea that like every kid gets a fair shot because like under, under a normal pinata, every like, the thing about it is, like each kid gets to hit the pinata, and it's the one kid who hits it the hardest gets the first shot at all the candy. Then all everybody else just kind of swarms. Yeah, it's the way it should be. That's the way it should be. And I guess one. Well, what's what's the problem if you just. You just give every kid a bat, and you say, go with the pinata. I don't see anything wrong with that. The yeah. cat showed us that. And that that's exactly what I'm saying, like free-for-all or whatever. And, yeah, you might have one kid accidentally hit another kid with a bat, <laughs> but you, you cannot say to me that at a kid's birthday party, that wouldn't happen regardless if you had a pinata or not, that one kid would hit another. Like So that that's what bothers me. I'm sure people are like, oh, this is safer. You know, the whole political correctness aspect of pinata, which we don't know, we're putting that aside. I'm a, I'm sure a big part of the string thing was for safety. But that's stupid. The kids are going to hit each other no matter what. Even if you take away one chance where it might happen accidentally, there's still going to be, you know, Jimmy hates Billy and he's going to kick him in the nuts. It's going to happen. You can't avoid that. Just don't have parties if you want to avoid that. It drives me crazy, Zach. And yes, I am coming from someone who very avidly attends children's birthday parties. <laughs> so I know what I'm talking about. Yeah, <laughs> I guess I have actually two more snack items. That oh I my forgot. God. <laughs> okay. Let's keep it going. <laughs> okay. Um, first, uh, it's more less of a snack and more of a um, delivery service. If the cinema, these st- restaurants start to deliver, is this I think we should, that we should be pitching to, to Mark Cuban. Yes, <laughs> okay. we, need, we need more money. We need to sell him even more of the business for money. Um, we need if we're going to offer delivery, like uh, delivery, like we're going to do like Cinematis Grubhub or Uber <laughs> Eats. I think we should have the slow. Ah, that's interesting. I like that. We've never talked about that. Like, what would the what would the Cinematis catering car look like? Exactly. Like, there there you go. It would be the slow. I, I want it to be the slow. Oh, that's it. Okay. Okay. I'm sure there's some other vehicles we've had in the past that we could throw in here, but you, you broke a new ground, Zach. We got the slow in our fleet. I like it. Yes. And then the second snack item I have to mention, or it ties into Alec Baldwin in, in, in a line that's actually said in this film that I can't believe it's actually a thing that happens in this movie, considering all the other Gonzo's nonsense. There's a part in this movie where Alec Baldwin says the phrase, I can't believe you whizzed on my taco. I'm sending Conrad away. Oh! 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 I can't believe you whizzed on my taco! 
I actually have that in my notes. <laughs> I actually wrote that line down in my notes because, yes, I love that line as well. So I think there should be some feature at the Cinemati's restaurant. We should have something on the menu called You Whizzed on My Taco. It is a taco platter, but you get a dispenser that you use for condiments. So you know how you usually get your like sour cream, yep. your guacamole, your uh, pico de mayo? What you do, instead of getting it like that, you get it in the form of like a dog. It's, <laughs> like it's plastic, and what you do is you put it on that way, and, and the title of the, uh, the, the entree is You Whizzed on My Taco. Okay, I like it. I see. I thought you were going to say we serve tacos and we get Nevins to run out to the the customer's table and whiz on them when they order or they receive the tacos. Well, it's not the worst idea because later in in the movie we see Alec Baldwin eating one of the tacos. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. He's not phased by this. He's annoyed by it, but it does not deter his hunger. Yeah, I mean, you know, urine smells weird, but it's sterile, right? Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> Why not? Uh, That's gonna but, be, you know, like when you go to you go to barbecue places or sushi places, they have that asterisk next to some asterisk next to some items that says, you know, consuming raw or undercooked foods is dangerous and could lead to illness or something. We have that next to this and go, urine smells bad, but it's sterile. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, yeah. So, um, yeah, I, I think that I think I've after two and a half hours, I think I've. Uh, Covered okay. every topic I'd like to. Okay, when we think of more snacks, we'll make them like the um, the, the bloopers or something, right? <laughs> that'll be that'll be in the yeah, that'll be in the the credits. We'll have yeah. additional. All right. Well, then I think to wrap up this episode of our failed blockbuster series, I've had it in mind. I think that we should take that Smash Mouth getting better cover and mess with that in reverse. And of course, we'll have to sprinkle in some lines from the cat here and there. I get in, in reverse. <laughs> I want I, I want included in there is some oh yeah oh yeah. Okay, perfect, perfect. Because <laughs> he says that about a hundred times throughout the film, so it wouldn't oh, be yeah. like <laughs> oh yeah. Oh yeah, it's beautiful. Oh yeah, that that that's gonna go in there. The um the great little line that I love the delivery. The Nevins. Time to die. Oh, <laughs> Rob, really God like damn that. it. Stop it, Rob. There's so much more to talk about. I know. We could go on for hours with Mike Myers. Uh, not just Mike Myers. Everybody's voice acting in this. You know, Of course, it's not voice acting as we've discussed it. Maybe more voice vocal performances. That is a huge aspect to this movie. You're fired. <laughs> You're fired. What? Fired. What? Fired! <laughs> Mr. Holmes, I wanted to thank you. Fired. I beg your pardon? Fired. Could I? Fired! Oh, my Lord. Bo Welch, wherever you are, Rob and I salute you. Get thank ready you. for uh, avalanche tweets coming your way. <laughs> <laughs> wherever you are, Bo Welch, we, uh, we we are you know what I also like I would like to have for all of our acclaimed filmmakers in the Cinematis canon, I think we should have a statue or at least a bust of each director that has yes. given us a masterpiece. Like we should have one for Colin Madman Trevorrow. Yeah. We should have one for Bo Joe, Welch. Joe Dante. Joe Dante. I think we should have. I think that might be the claim. You know what? We keep talking about like Clash of the Titans. 
when it comes to Cinemades. Before we get to that point, the filmmaker has to have a bust in the Cinemades You're restaurant. Right, yeah, I'm thinking of I'm thinking of like the uh, the White House oil portraits of all the presidents. Yes, you have like just a wing, just a hallway with all these busts of directors. Bingo, folks! <laughs> oh, and, and whatever and whatever filmmaker wins. Uh, the highest acclaim gets a statue of themselves in front of the Cinemades restaurant. Yes, yes, I dig it. I dig it. You, you're, you're, you're pretty close, Bo Welch. The only person that might be able to give you a solid run for your money is is the director of Elves. He might be the only person <laughs> that might be able to give you a solid run for your money. <laughs> yeah, I don't know who directed Elves. So <laughs> some guy directed someone, Elves. Someone else who we will call Bunce McGavin. <laughs> <laughs> Bunce McGavin directed Bunce McGavin. <laughs> oh yeah! Oh yeah! Oh yeah! Oh yeah! Oh yeah! All right, Captain. Come on! Are you scared away? Dirty hoe. I'm sorry, baby, I love you. He's a liar, daughter. Oh, he does. Yeah, what are you doing? Hey! 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 Hey!